What's going on? We're back again. We're back for our best episode ever. We were excited about this since the very start when we decided we are going to make this podcast. Yeah, man, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. So, I've been waiting for weeks for this bad boy. If you haven't heard, today is the day that we're diving into season one of Game of Thrones. Dilly dilly! Dilly dilly, 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 dilly yeah! Right? I'm excited. Ah, man, this is what we waited for. Thank you guys for joining us last week for The Witcher. We got a lot of good reviews on that. Um, actually, we started to get some feedback, and it seems that we're reaching not only uh, here in the United States, but we've been getting some domestic um, interaction as well. So Yeah, I got a lot of, uh, actually, a lot of listeners in Australia. Australia, and Canada, the Canada and Germany had some too. Yeah, Canada and Germany. Yeah, we had like 125 from Germany, which is pretty good. Yeah. So, so this we're just is getting started. Episode we're, 5? Episode 5, yeah. Episode 5. And this is where we're going to really start our whole Game of Thrones arc. So the next eight episodes, so this one included, so this one and then seven more are all going to be at each <laughs> season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and that is true. I am wearing a Britney shirt because she's the queen. I feel like Britney <laughs> was your first love, and then Daenerys is your, your second. Yeah, that was my first, uh, yeah, that was my first knee bend I ever did. Oh. It was at the Oops, I, I Did It Again that. concert. <laughs> Back in the day, I mean, if you were born in the 90s, which we both were, uh, tell me you didn't have a Britney poster somewhere in your bedroom, right? I think that's... Oh, she was the true queen. <laughs> the truth, right? Yeah. So, what we're going to do today, and really throughout the entire arc here for Game of Thrones, is we're, not only are we going to break down the uh, series. We're also going to talk about the books too. Some of the things that are very, very similar, some things that are different, what we think about each one, what kind of fits better for the viewers and, and the audience. And this is going to be a pretty big arc too. Um, we're taking it on eight episodes over the next eight weeks over here. Yeah. So we'll break it down, you know, by first book, by first season, kind of comparing both those two. Even go into like we uh, usually do, what we think maybe they could have done a little bit better, what we think they did fantastic. Uh, I gotta say though, like for our generation, this has been right up there with Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. For sure. I mean, from 2011 on, I mean, that, I think 2011 is when the last Harry Potter came out. So yeah. when we really had a, a, this was there was no lull, right? right. It just kind of yeah. just went straight into Game of Thrones, and I think it really took a lot of people by surprise. This is really the one where things kind of got out of control with like, oh, yeah. the nudity, the language, the violence, the gore. I can't think of anything. I mean, obviously it had to be HBO. And that's the only one that would have done it at this point in mm-hmm. 2011. Right now, they, this day and age, we talked about The Witcher last week. It had right. an element to that. But Game of Thrones, man, that like the, everything about it, like, like I said, the nudity, the gore, the language, the violence that you see, it's, uh, it was really a trendsetter, man. Well, when we, I remember first starting to watch this show with my dad years ago. It was like, uh, I don't know if you remember that show Camelot that came out on Stars for like one season that barely was doing anything. Uh, it came out almost as like HBO's way to try to compete with that, and then it did so well. Literally, you'd never heard of Camelot ever again. And at first you were kind of thinking like, maybe they were trying to replicate the whole Spartacus idea with the sex scenes and stuff. Yeah. And then you realized as you were watching this thing how close it followed the books. It's pretty much, I mean, there's a little things here and there with characters and how they appear, and then a few different scenes that are minor differences that didn't actually take place, which are very rare. Uh, but it's 
It's pretty dead accurate. It's very, very good. Like, so if we think about it this way too, guys, obviously, if you're brand new to the world of fantasy, you might not know this, but most people do. Uh, there's two books that have yet to be written by George R. R. Martin, right? So The Winds of Winter, it's not out yet. So when we get into season seven and season eight, it's really just going to be really the writers, like, you know, D&D, man. Yeah. So uh, outside of that, everything else has a like, plot line that's followed through the book series along the way. When we get into seven and eight, that's where they kind of stand alone. So, right. um, yeah, so that, that's going to be really interesting to kind of see. I know a lot of people, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, have a lot of opinions about how the show ended. And right. we haven't been able to get a book, you know, since what was the last book that was written? Right? Was it 2000? The Dance with Dragons? Yeah, I think two, Dances with Dragons came out in, what, two, well, even earlier than that. I think that. it was like 2011. 2000, yeah, 11. Yeah, yeah that's so, kind of what I was thinking. I was almost said 2012. We've been waiting yeah. nine years for Wins of Winter. Yeah. I mean, there's rumors. It's not been confirmed. But uh, if you haven't seen this or not, uh, George R. R. Martin made like a funny statement for New Zealand. They offered him like a place to go secluded, like in right. sure that he can finish it. And he said, "Hey, listen, if I don't have it by the time I come <laughs> down and visit in, in August of 2020, you can lock me away and yeah. finish it." So, I mean, that, like they they're saying, you know, late spring, early summer. We'll see. We've been promised this before. It was supposed to be out before the end of the uh, TV run, but. Um, haven't, haven't got it yet. <laughs> Which, you got to give George a little bit of credit on this, too, because you got to, you know, you got to have Benning Hoff, uh, uh, Benning Hoff and Wise, you know, you got to give him a little bit of freedom in there at some point to kind of do what they want. And he did kind of go back and make Fire and Blood that came out. And then he also made A Night in Seven Kingdoms, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, so he was writing, you know, some of those things. Um, I think one of the mistakes they made was not having him as much involved in the last two seasons. But uh, he has been, you know, he's been in the works, so give him patience. I give him, I give him time. And here's another thing, too, that I, I think that is important to notate is that don't think that we're just trashing the, the writers of the, the series, yeah. right? So there are some things, honestly, and I'll, I'll talk about a little bit, that I liked better in the series than I like in the books. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen a lot. So they didn't do everything wrong. It's just, obviously, we've, I've, I've got a lot of um, opinions about season eight. and like, But today, guys, we're really going to focus on season one, how this all, like, like really the inauguration of Game of Thrones, where it came from, how it captivated the audience, and the differences in the books and what we would like to see and what we did see in our reaction right. to it. Yeah. yeah, which I know you guys are on the edge of your seat, ready for our <laughs> our critiques on Season 8. Well, you only have to wait eight more weeks. Only eight more weeks, guys. Only eight more weeks, <laughs> man. And we're going to carry you every step of the way. So uh, don't worry. But i, I got to say, though, like just like you were saying, like Benioff and Wise, I think they did an excellent job, really. I mean, you even for Season 8, for all the critics out there, if you compare it to, like, Burn Notice... It's an excellent show. Yeah. Like, it's still an excellent show. It's almost like Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. If, if it didn't have, like, something attached to it, another name attached to it, right. it's a great... It's yeah. great. But the fact is, like, we were all, like, waiting for something that never happened. Like, what my right. biggest takeaway was, and like I said, we're not going to get into specifics with this, but I will say, I, I, I was watching season eight very excited, and I, I just kept, I kept getting left wanting more after every episode. Like, man, like... That was okay, but like this is this is season eight. Like this is this is the, the end of it. We we gotta get something. Like, what are we doing? And then oh yeah, you know, But like I said, we, we'll we'll tackle that when we tackle it. Uh, today, guys, we're gonna talk about uh, the beginning beginning the genesis of Game of Thrones, and you know let's. 
let's kind of dive on in. And first off, though, I'm, I'm really happy about this little centerpiece that we got going on. For our listeners on our podcast, you can't see this, but uh, tune into our YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, you'll be able to take a look. We've got an awesome little centerpiece here going. We've got the uh, Game of Thrones White Walker Johnny Walker bottle here. We've got the Game of Thrones red wine. It's got all the uh, sigils of all the houses, the dragon, the wolf, the lion. Uh, it's, it's it's exciting, the stag too. Um, we've got the two yeah. uh, first editions of Game of Thrones, the, the both hardcover, illustrated version, uh, the generic novel. We've got Daenerys and, and Jon Snow up here in the front, and then you can see our uh, DVD collection of season one with Ned Stark sitting there on the Iron Throne with the... The Raven on his shoulder. Man, I almost feel like this is one of those. Remember those old eight hundred like channels where like they have the amazing like decorations yeah, on the right. table that they're trying to sell. <laughs> so all you ladies that like to decorate houses and stuff, please tune in and subscribe because we got plenty of notes we can give you right here. Yeah, right. Or you can give <laughs> us all notes for guys that we don't know anything. And then yeah, also the in this deal. corner as well, we've got some of the banners too. We've got uh, you know we got the wolf, we got the lion, we got the dragon. So. Um, yeah. Now we we've been waiting for Game of Thrones since we started this podcast, and we're yeah. excited about. Got to be honest. I mean, it's my favorite show still today. So yeah. favorite books. So I, I'm pretty stoked, man. I, I can't wait. So let's go ahead and dive in because yeah. there was like so much. I even had to refresh myself because I read the books. I read the books about two years ago, um, but even just in the past two years. And even watching the show, like, I started picking up the show watching that. Uh, I think I was in college, 2000, yeah, 2011, I think is when I started watching the show. Like, it was even a little bit after uh, the first season came out, because I really didn't know what it was, and I started watching it with my dad. Um, There's just so much you really forget as far as foreshadowing and, like, what you really pick up on that's ingrained in detail, even going into this first season. Agreed. So let's jump into, you know, very, very similarly to the books of the series, it jumps right to where there the, there's the three travelers that are north of the wall. I don't know much about the wall at this point, or the Night's Watch, but basically they're tracking wildlings. And uh, we start getting some, some of the, the, the feel of like, okay, that, that one guy found the big pile of bodies in that right. weird symbol, which, you know, we still haven't really figured out all the symbols with the White Walkers either. That's another problem I have. We'll talk about it. But uh, <laughs> um, they, like, they found all those bodies. They see it in there. They're walking. That, that one guy, he's, he was actually a knight in the Seven Kingdoms. It goes into more detail about who he was in the books. If you guys haven't read it. Um, he was a knight. He's there for, you know, kind of for glory. Um, you know, he wasn't high, high up. So, but he's important enough to where he's got a high position. Just by going to the wall, he was basically given a high position. And so they have to kind of respect his authority. These other two, even though, you know, it's very, very clear that something's not right. And he just is so arrogant that he's like, no, like, we're going to go to the bottom of this. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, bad knight and nothing's going to, nothing's going to happen. And so, yeah, it ended up happening. <laughs> yeah, man. It, um, I mean, of course, you know, they run into, in the books, they actually refer to them more as the others. Um, I still remember in the books, it's only the wildlings, I think, that usually call them white walkers in the books. Yeah, and so really in the books, it's broken down by two names. They call them the whites, W-I-G-H-T-S, or the others. The others, and there's a difference between the two. I think people yeah. need to understand that, um, for example, to break it down like how the series was, 
when there was that one guy like who had the big sword, like the crystal sword there, the one who could really do damage, it wasn't just like a, a pawn or like a common foot soldier. The others was like the next level up. Not quite right. the Night King, but like the Night King's like inner circle. So the, like the, those ones there who are kind of command, those are the others where the, just the general army of the walkers are called whites. Right. Almost like, kind of compare this, I guess they can't really be compared, but like Lord of the Rings, like how, you know, you had the kings like that Urkai almost became like wraiths. Like I was thinking more of like, almost like the wraith riders. Okay. Uh, sort of. Got like it. almost like on that level, like they weren't exactly like um, on the level of like Mouth of Sauron or anything, but they were still at the point where... They were pretty high up. Yeah, in the exactly. World. Like yeah. they're they, they are a top level villain without being the guy. Here's another thing too. As of right now in the books, there's no such thing as the Night King. Right. Like yeah, he hasn't been introduced like the leader of all of this. We've just heard about the others and the whites. So yeah, you know they they come across them in, in the forest and uh, he <laughs> he ends up taking the guy's head and clean off and rolls it right. to the other one. You know, and I, I think this is actually kind of cool too. Because this foreshadowed a little bit, not much of a foreshadow, but at least gave us some information where, you know, the, the, the knight is like, listen, if you're not going to get back on your horse, you can always run south of the wall. Of course, you'd be labeled as a deserter and you'd lose your head. So then we kind of think about later on, like, when people, like, try to desert the wall, like, where that kind of comes from. And so they like, well, listen, like, I don't want to. Right. Like, like, yeah. At that point, you're kind of stuck between, like, a for sure death or, like, maybe I will die in the woods I'm really scared, but not sure what's going to happen. So, like, okay, well, we'll get back on the horse, right. although we're not happy about it. <laughs> right, and then it kind of jumps, um, you know, when they get back. And, you know, it kind of jumps over to Ned at that point and kind of his perspective, what's going on. And remember, you know, so they come back, and the ones that do survive uh, get back there, and they're telling them what's going on. And Ned even goes into detail of, you know, saying... You know, there's really no way that can be true because these stories of these, to them, are almost like ancient at this point, um, which is why he almost wants to put on an example of this guy. Kind of, yeah. So uh, th th there's only one that made it back through, and he went straight down south of the, the, the wall. Like, he didn't stop back at Castle Black or anything. So the night he died right away, then, like, the other guy got his head cut and rolled towards him. And then the White Walker, uh, it would be, like, the other in the books, was standing over the one that they left. Um, and it was interesting because in the books, like the other guy, like the, the one that did get his head cut off in, in the woods, he was actually pretty well respected. He was like a, um, a veteran of the Night's Watch in the books. He was someone that they did respect, although the Night outranked him. Uh, he was a, he was a seasoned warrior, seasoned man, a brother of the Night's Watch. So they really respected his opinion. And when he started to have a really bad feeling, that's when the other guy who ended up surviving, going south of the wall, and ended up getting executed. Right. Yeah. You know, like he just like I, I wonder too because the White Walker could have killed the other guy because he threw the head right in front of him and then stood over him. Oh, he's, he didn't. He yeah. didn't kill him. So yeah. he was almost like, hey, like this is send a message. It was almost right. like, hey, we're going to send a message to the, the land of the living. Like we're here. But, like, no one, no one believes him because these things have been gone for a thousand years. No one's seen it. And so even before that Ned Stark gets word of the deserter, uh, we get to see a little bit of his family. We get to see Bran right, shooting do. the arrow at the, the yeah. targets he can't hit, hit to save his life. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, I, and this is where you kind of see, you start to fall in love with Ned Stark a little bit. Because he's like, which one of you was a marksman at 10 when all of his brothers are laughing at the little one? Because he's trying to build his son up, make him understand that, like, right. listen, like, you have to work at things to be good at him. Like... 
the really way I can kind of describe the Starks are like that really idealistic family where there's a lot of duty and honor, there's no lies or deceit, you work hard for what you get, like really just a great family that's based on that. They don't, like they're, they're, they're high up, but you can see like they'll, they'll never push to be the top family because they don't want that. They, right. just, they just want to live in their quote-unquote the right, the right way, which is the old way when they have like they serve the old gods in the north. Right. It actually makes you wonder because bringing up that scene in the books and the and the, I want to say movies because they're almost like you know high-end movie quality. Right. The TV show when Bran is firing, you know, that bow and arrow in target practice, and he still has Rob and John next to him, and they're almost like training him. You almost sit there and wonder, like, if what isn't to become later on uh, of what happened as far as, you know, the end of this episode. Yeah. Like, he very well was kind of being set up to be kind of the head honcho of that house. Could have been. I mean, I think, obviously, Besides Rob. Besides Rob, Rob was right? always going to yeah. be the head, right? He was the firstborn son. He, he, he had everything. And honestly, guys, to be honest, um, Rob Stark's my favorite Game of Thrones character, like, ever, period. Uh, and it's funny. I, I was telling buddy Chase. I will go <laughs> off topic a little bit. In all of my favorite fantasy genre books and, like, action adventure, sci-fi, my favorite character always dies. Every single time. And it's without fail. So, uh, you know, if you guys read the Aragon series, Brom died. Harry Potter, Sirius Black died. Uh, Fred Weasley was actually, you know, my other top one, too. He died. Uh, yeah, we go into Game of Thrones, or not Game of Thrones, uh, Lord of the Rings, Boromir died. You know, Boromir, Ned Stark. Yeah, actor, so. But uh, Boromir died in Lord of the Rings. He was my favorite. Uh, you know, Lion King, Mufasa, my favorite character, died. I'm like, dude, I'm never going to the war, man, because this is yeah, not going well for just, me. Uh, but it just every single line. time, you know, that anything happens that with the fantasy genre, I get connected to a certain character, and he's gone without fail. So uh, don't want to ruin anything for anybody coming up. But Red, Rob Stark is really like set to be the next, you know, guy in the household, even when. We get into what happens later in the episodes. He starts taking over some duties at Winterfell and, and things of that nature. But, uh, yeah, I think that you're very, very right because there's, in terms of the Stark household, we go for the men first, right? So Rob Stark's the oldest. He's the firstborn son. He's the heir to everything. Then below that, you've got Bran and then Recon. Now, Jon Snow's there, but as you guys know, he's the bastard. He had a different mother than Ned Stark being his father, and obviously we learn later on what actually is the truth. But either way, so he's kind of put to the side. So you all, you already feel bad for John as it is, because he kind of feels like an outsider in the Stark household. He really household. is. And yeah. in, the, in the books, it's even worse than in the in the, she, the, the TV series, how poorly Catelyn Stark treats Jon Snow. Oh, definitely. Definitely did. I mean, it even, it showed a little bit in the TV series, I think, where when it, it really dives into, not to get off topic with later kind of episodes, but it was the season where... <clears throat> she was even like he was saying his goodbyes because he really wants to join the Night Watch, which I yeah. think that really pushed him towards it. Honestly, I think so too. Yeah, if he was really felt like part of that family, he would have never left, especially left Arya. Like he was like an older brother yeah. to Arya the entire time. And the books they had a great connection. Yeah, and uh, I still remember she said, "Just leave." Yeah. Like I just want you to leave. Yep. Like, and that was when Bran, you know, Oops. all this stuff mm-hmm. happens. Um, not to give anything away here, but it really goes to show, like, the woman that was basically the lady that raised him, 
that is really his mom at this point. Yeah, and that's the thing too. And when you think about it, and this will, I will say this quote, and this is from uh, like two seasons later. So this is from season three. When things start poorly befalling the Stark family, she believes it's on her because she she wished poorly upon John. She wanted him to right. die with the pox, yeah. and then when he did, like, hey, like, like God said, you save him, I'll treat him like part of the family. Then they did save him, and then she still treated him like poorly. And her, her exact words, you can see the pain, because she finally realizes, like, all the reason that she treated him poorly was for nothing. It's like, I, all this is happening because I couldn't love a motherless child. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, you know, those people that almost feel like they always have to have something to prove. Well, that was basically John. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people don't know. I mean, because he, you know, Kit Harrington is a big guy, like, naturally in life anyways. So even in the first season where you're seeing him, yeah, he's a little bit smaller in his, you know, he doesn't have a whole beard at this point. He has shorter hair, kind of like Sirius Black, just not quite as scraggly or yeah, like right. Taff, you know. Um He's in the books, even, you know, he's really kind of like almost this, I don't want to say scrawny at this point, but he's this underdeveloped guy at this point. Well, like, he's no military experience. 13, 14 years old. Yeah. I mean, like, he's just a scrawny little kind of teenage guy. Yeah. Um, and he was always, he's always really pushing himself for something to prove, which I think really pushed him into the night. Well, he watch. became too, also later right. on. Because, like, you're right, I think he always did have something to prove because he was never fully accepted, and then, you know, he always wanted to prove his worth to anybody, you know, but... Even going into, uh, which we'll jump there in a minute, but this kind of leads into, you know, starting with this next scene. Remember, they're kind of seeing... They go to kind of investigate what's going on, right? And, you know, they saw the dire wolf mm-hmm. has been basically torn apart where it has its three like it has yeah, the antler in its jaw yeah dead. yeah and they, they never seen a dire this far south right. of the wall yeah well john makes a comment and rob goes you know what about what about yours because they were going to take the little ones home because uh, they wanted to raise them yeah and he said i'm not a stark like he was always looked at as the bastard son he was never looked at as part of them right agreed uh, but I don't believe Ned felt that way. Right. I, Ned like really did try to treat him like one of the family, and it's because he knew the truth the whole time. Right. None of these people know like what happened, but like that's how honorable and like stuck to his word that Ned Stark is. He didn't even tell his wife right what exactly like transpired. He would rather let her think that he cheated on like, like despised his own honor. Yep. Like, like, instead of, like, really give up the truth about the matter, which, and again, we'll talk about what that is. Which really goes into, I mean, that's why he is. even going to the end of this whole book and the end of the season with the shocking development that occurred, how much Ned thought of his family, like, how far he was willing to go. And here's the thing, too, like, I wasn't that shocked by what happened at the end of season one, but let's, let's, let's kind of describe Ned here, too, because Ned Stark in the books is described entirely differently than how he's portrayed by Sean Bean in the series. Like, he almost has an aura of power and strength, but in in the books, he's very, very, like, he's considered physically, like, inferior to, like, way, way, way more so than Robert Baratheon. He's, like, characterized as not very, he's 
a very honorable guy, does the right thing, tells the truth, like, just a good overall man, but he was not, like, physically imposing. It was saying he had a hard time lifting Robert's hammer, his war hammer. So he, like, you know, he's not a warrior by trade or nature, but in the series, it kind of makes him seem like that, where he says things like, I was trained to kill my enemies, like, uh, you know, I've been ready to die, like, since whenever, like, I've been to war, like, many times. Kind of think of him as a warrior or a soldier. Even Cersei later on says, you're really nothing but a soldier, are you? But realistically, he was never a greatest fighter. And the books, like, in terms of where they, they have him originally going for the books, and you know what? I kind of like Ned Stark better in the series than I do in the books because right. of how he's portrayed. He's almost like, uh, in the books, he almost, this is going to come way out of the left field, but he reminds me of, have you ever seen the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson? No, I haven't. Like, he's uh, kind of like Mel Gibson in the movie The Patriot. Have you ever watched that? Um, like, he's always, always there for his family, putting his family first, but even when it comes into the big war with the British, which, of course, is somewhat loosely based off history there, um, you know, he was never one to really kind of be like, oh, let's take the front reins. Let's just go ahead and go here. Let's do this. Let's do that. He was very tactical. He was very, um, I don't want to say political, but able to kind of see both sides sort of thing and always really doing what was best for his family. But he wasn't the most broad, the most kind of most in shape guy like Hercules. Like he was really, and he wasn't the smartest either. He wasn't yeah. the most cunning. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see him getting outsmarted at court all the time. Oh, all the time. Like, he was generally just, just like a down to earth guy. Just a good yeah. dude. Like one of the good old boys, as they yeah. like to say. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. I'm 100% with you. But tell me, like, which Ned Stark do you prefer? The one that's portrayed in the books or the one in the TV series? I, I like the one in. It's tough because I love Sean Bean, too. Yeah. Like, I think he's awesome. And I'm a big really? Lord of the Rings guy. Um,. I actually got to say the one in the books because he's more real to me because it goes to show, well, I guess for those positions of power, but it really goes to show like anyone can do that job almost as long as your heart's in it. Like you can really do whatever you put your heart into. He, I mean, in the show, right? Like he still had that sense of, because of where it was coming from, everyone knew he was in Lord of the Rings. So that's kind of what drew people to this show in the beginning was Sean Bean. Let's be real. Cersei was in 300. All right. Okay, cool. What carried that, we always know, was Gerard Butler. Let's be real. But he kind of had more of a sense of, <clears throat> you knew this guy was going to be some amazing sword fighter or something. Even going to the whole idea of, I think, Benning Off and Wise talked about it at one point uh, in the breakdown at the end of the episode where he fights Jamie in, uh, what was it, like Lions and Lambs or something? Episode yeah, 5? Episode five, yeah, Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but in the books, it really goes to show, I mean, he just has a lot of experience. That's the thing, too. To. Is like, but in, in, like, he seems almost more sure of himself as a warrior in the series. Because if you think about, like, you know, he would, he, we all know Jamie Lannister was one of the top five swordsmen in, in Westeros. Like, for sure. Barristan right. Selmy's up there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, he was, like, the best. Like, but regardless, like, he kept, he had that talk about him, like, you know, you've chosen your enemies, enemies wisely. Like, he, yeah. he was very sure of himself. But, like, in the books, like, he would be reminiscing, like, man. Those war days were tough, like, when we were stuck, like, you know, before the, what, um, 
ended up happening by Dragonstone and things of that nature. He's like, I can't even lift Robert's Warhammer. Yeah. Like, he's not physically imposing. So I don't like how he's portrayed in the books as much. I think Sean, they, they did a, this is one of the things I think in the series was more intriguing and captivating to the audience because I don't think he would have loved Ned Stark as much watching him on the screen if he was more... He was more of like a beta as, and then an alpha in the book. Right, yeah. You know, like, and, like, I can see that. Yeah. No, <clears> I can see it. Opinion, for sure. No, I, I can definitely see it. Uh, grab another little chalice here. Dilly dilly. <laughs> um, <laughs> off to the pit of misery with the pit of misery. Oh, I'll go to the loonies and with you. <laughs> it, turn you into a deer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <man>. so, <laughs> anyways, uh, but yeah, I mean, and that's another thing I think. You know, going into how you mentioned Jamie, I really don't think in the show it was portrayed as much as how it was in the books. He was the Kingslayer. Yeah. He was a beast in the books. Yeah, he was. He was a, like no one wanted to see him. Like as we when we I know we say we're not going to jump around, but we do all the time. But we have to. We have when to. We, when we, we have to describe these characters to you guys. Like he, Calvin Stark in the, the Battle of Whispering Wood when they captured Jamie. She was thankful that uh, Rob Stark did not meet him on the field because yes. she knew what happened. Like he was a master swordsman. He was a master swordsman, and that's why Tywin Lannister was so upset with Jamie because he had all his potential and all he wanted to do was be a glorified bodyguard because he right. wanted to close to Cersei. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, like yeah. they, that he, if he was everything that Tywin Lannister wanted him to be, the Lannisters would have had one hell of a reign. Right. Which an, another just quick comment since we're talking about Ned and Jamie here, just kind of jumped into it. I think it's pretty ironic, uh, you know, what winds up happening later on that we'll get into in a later episode. He loses his hand because who did he fight against when he was trying to, you know, actually arrest him was the hand of the king. So it's pretty ironic that he winds up losing his own hand later on if you think about it, which I actually just caught that today. That's, yeah, that's actually a really good, like, analogy. It's, uh, you know, that that is later on. It's a couple seasons away. But, right. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. I mean, I mean, if you haven't seen it this time, you probably wouldn't be watching this anyways. Right. But, exactly. Um, no, that's that's actually very good imagery, and it kind of brings it full circle. Uh, you know, and, and to get into that, well, like, let's not go too far there. Let's just kind of, we we're, we're at the part where that we meet the, the family of the Starks. Right. And uh, we find out that... Uh, the deserter comes through, and they bring them all out to the field. And and he tells Catelyn, like, hey, make sure, or uh, tells um, his, his master of arms, hey, we're going to go and, and bring Bran out this time. Make sure Bran comes. It's right. time for him to see. And Bran's 10, and Catelyn's like, he's only 10 years old. He, he, he doesn't need to see this. And, and he turns around, and classic Stark words, he said, winter is coming. He needs to be prepared. So yep. <laughs> they, they go out there, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and I think... Jon Snow has a great relationship with everybody in the Stark family outside of maybe Rob. Him and Rob always competed a lot. I think they both respected each other. But like yeah. Bran, Arya, Recon, they loved Jon Snow. Oh, they all did. Uh, like I was saying, Arya really looked at him like an older brother. Like it was, it was Arya's like real brother. Yeah, like, like real like, brother. Like, like she yeah. thought that they were, you know, he got her a sword, mm -hmm. and like it even says like later on in the books and stuff, like she would miss when Jon would muscle her hair and her right, little yeah. sister and stuff like that. So she actually had a close relationship with Jon than she did with her own actual brothers. And remember when Jon gave her that sword, which yeah, she named Needle. Needle it, um, you know, it, it really showed. Like he said, you know. 
this is a weapon. Don't go playing with it. Right. Like, he wasn't messing with her. Like, he actually respected Arya for who he was, who she was. And that's, that's the greatest point I think he just brought up there, is everyone wanted Arya, in terms of the family, not the audience, everyone wanted Arya to be something <clears throat> that she wasn't. Right. They all wanted her to be a lady of the court, marry a fine, you know, someone high up as well. And John's the only one that really accepted her for her wanting to be a warrior. Right. Her wanting to, you know, contribute to where, like, back then, it wasn't ladylike. She didn't want to be a lady. She wanted to be who she was. And knowing, even her dad, like, as great as we portray Ned Stark to be, you know, remember he's like, Yo, we'll, we'll find you a great husband. Like, oh, all the time. Yeah. Like, he wanted her to be a lady, too. And she's like, that's not me. Right. John's yeah. the only one that saw Arya for who she was. And I think that's why they had such a great connection. No, it's, I have to agree 100%. Um, which, I mean, just going into, you know, as far as what the family thought, I mean, they thought she would literally be like Sansa the whole time. They wanted her to be. <laughs> yeah. It was um, just interesting, because Sansa, like, was, was portrayed as, you know, and, and they, can we talk about the casting they did for the most part? Casting was phenomenal. Pretty great, right? Fantastic. So, you know. Pretty so, much dead on. Very much so. Yeah. Obviously, there was appearance things, but, like, in terms of who portrayed who, like, it was great, right? Even, so, like, little appearances, though, like, even with. What's one casting you didn't like in the series? I've got one, and I don't like it, but you tell me which one. That's tough, because it's not like, uh, there's no casting I really hated. I got Like, one. I couldn't stand. Go for it. Renly Baratheon. Renly Baratheon was supposed to be, like, this, like, the clone of Robert Baratheon, how he's mentioned in the book, like, when they lay eyes on him, when Catelyn lays eyes on and Renly, he's like, oh my goodness, like, this reminds me so much of, like, I thought yeah. this was Robert come again, mm -hmm. right? In the series... Like yes, obviously, like in the tone, in the in the tones of the books, you start to get the feeling that Renly was homosexual, right? Right. Yeah. But in the books, like it doesn't flat out say that. You don't actually ever know up to this point. So I'm I'm halfway through um, a feast for crows right now, which is book four, and even to this point, like it alludes to people having ideas of that happening. But in the series, it's just flat out. You see it right away yeah. with uh, the Knight of Flowers. Uh, he like shaving him and stuff, and like you, I already had the yeah. new like Littlefinger had that comment at the, the hand of the King's tournament, like when it would be having your friend. But in the books, like it was more hush hush, or it was never confirmed. But obviously, the way that Sir Loras like reacted to it, you had a feeling that there was more than just a friendship there. Right. It never was the way it came out to be. And like you know, in the series, in the series, it was just flat out like, okay, you kind of knew like from the first yeah. one you saw him, very feminine the way he walked and stuff like that. Right. In the books, he dressed extravagant, mm -hmm. but like it was never like they, I, that's right. And, yeah. And even just the the physical appearance of him, he didn't resemble Robert much at all. No, like, he didn't. He, he didn't so, at all. He he looked more like. He looked like the guy from Camelot. <laughs> Literally, I, dead on. He looked like the guy that... Uh, what else was that guy in? He played, like, uh, I think it was in, like, I Am Number 4 or something. I Am Four, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't even know if she, he was in that. He did all those B-rated movies for, like, right. a long... You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I, I will say this, right? So, there's no cast. I was completely, like, oh, this is horrible kind of thing. Because I think I feel like the directors and the casting agency did do a good job. Now I didn't like the way a lot of them were portrayed, but my biggest one at first, like I was really questioning Theon. But if you go back and relook at season one, <clears throat> he's a lot more of kind of a badass than he is in the later seasons. 
but still, I don't think they portrayed him right. I don't think so either. I don't even think he was much of a badass in the, yeah. in the, in the um, TV series, because everything Theon did, he was more of an arrogant, spoiled child. Oh, he really I'm was. He was and, like, you know, I'm not quite a Stark, but I'm basically there. He was the Draco the Malfoy of Game of Thrones. He was 100% the Draco yeah. Malfoy of Game of Thrones. Great, great analogy. Um, but, like, in the books, like, he was... He was a badass. He was a badass. Like, like everyone respected him. He was like, a Rob badass. Loved him. He was like a master with a bow. And he was he was like you know not like kind of like skulky and like you know. In the kind of like, movies, I keep saying movies. In the television show, right. they like even when he uses the bow, I think he used it like two seasons. Like that was it. Like he kicked the head in like the first season one, and that was it. Yeah. And it was like really just a snarky like I'm a piece of shit kind of thing. I mean, I just don't felt like they did him right. I don't felt like really they did the whole Greyjoy house right. Because if you even go into Euron, he was like known as, remember he had the axe in the books? Yeah. And he was known as kind of like a a legend almost, (laughs) which that's jumping around. But one actor, actress, I really didn't care for. I didn't really like, uh, who's the character? I always say Tonks. Tonks was playing. Oh, uh, yeah. Wildling? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wildling? Yeah. yeah. Which, that's kind of more getting into it, but she's still in this season, in this first book. I think she portrayed, like, she did a good job for the most part, but, uh, I, but I'm so with you with the Theon thing, because Theon was so much more sure of himself that other people looked up to him, even in the Stark household, than, like, in the books, than they did in the TV series. And it's really so. sad, like, now, like, the way people remember it, because most people, most viewers out there are going to remember the show, just because of the way it was. Yeah, sure. So they're going to keep thinking of, you know, even in his most badass moments, it was him kind of fighting off the White Walkers with the bow kind of thing, uh, which wasn't really the way it was at all in the books. He was kind of almost like a... Almost like the chosen one. He was kind of like the Anakin Skywalker. Of the I Green wouldn't Wings. go that far. That's <laughs> a little bit. But again, I am the dark side. So. But no, I, I think Theon commanded a lot more respect in the books. I definitely think he, he was. Rob Stark was always a setup to be, yeah. you know, the next leader. But he respected Theon. Theon was older. Theon, I believe, was 16 when Rob Stark was 14, right. um, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of like the golden boy. But no, <laughs> I think he was treated poorly, too, because like, everyone, like, everyone looked down on him in the books and in the series, very similarly to like how they looked down on Jon Snow, because he wasn't really mm-hmm. part of the family, but he was high up enough, but he had enough arrogance to where it annoyed people to have to have them remind him, like, listen, like you're a warrior, you're a prisoner. They still respected like, him, though. Like, that's they respected what, what his abilities, that, like, and, and like, like, what they came from the Iron Islands, but yes, in the series, they didn't respect him as much, uh, yeah. the, the TV series, but... Yeah, so, you know, from there, once we kind of get to see, like, you know, Ned Stark, and I think this was iconic, too, when he takes the deserter's head off. Right, yeah. He was like, you know, hey, Brand, do you know why I had to do it? And he's like, oh, because he was a deserter. He's like, no, but do you know why I had to do it? So, you know, whoever's like, like, says a sentence, swings a sword. Yep. That's what they believe in. That's the old way. But, you know, and then kind of, this is where you hear that uh, because of John Aaron passing, which was very deviously done. I don't know if a lot of people even understand this to this day, because that kind of, like, you find out what actually happened, I believe, in season six. Right. When uh, Littlefinger goes to the Eyrie, mm-hmm. right? But, um, you know, people don't really, like, they all blame the Lannisters, uh, for John Aaron's death, right, when yeah. that really wasn't the case. But um, <laughs> so once they, they got the, the letter that John Aaron passed away, the, the king and his retinue, uh, you know, they took the ride up north 
to Winterfell, mm-hmm. and that's where we kind of see, you know, how great of a relationship Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark had. They really did. I mean, it even goes back as when they were talking about, you know, when they were at war together, and before Rob had gained a few pounds. Um, <laughs> but they really did have respect for each other on the level of friendship. They're, they're brothers, man. That's an understatement. Like, even they, remember when in the series, when like not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when in season one where he had the injury to his leg, we'll right. talk about what happens in a second there. He <laughs> was like, I never loved any of my brothers. It's sad for me to say, but it's true. Like you were yeah. the brother that I chose that I loved. Right. Like, yeah. They weren't just like great friends and didn't respect each other. They loved each other. Like they were brothers. Like and I think that's really understated. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is sad because you really don't get to learn a whole lot about Robert in the show. You really don't. Realistically, in the books either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, because you kind of know, this is where I started to get into the argument of, you know, the way the series ended. People say it wasn't supposed to end that way. You saw the foreshadowing from that ever since day one. So right. I don't buy that. <laughs> at all. Realistically, if everyone had listened to to Robert Baratheon in the beginning, like nothing would have happened the way it happened. If exactly. They, they yeah. Off the they literally like, and then people come out of nowhere and they're just like, "Yeah, no, this this wasn't their plan." Like Benning off and Wise just came up with that out of nowhere. Just go back and read a book. Yeah, like, no, please seriously. go back and read a book. It was supposed to be that way from the beginning. Did they drag it out the way I think they should have? No, but. Was it supposed to be that way? It's always been about... I mean, Robert had some hatred for Aegon the Conqueror and Aeon and, you know, everyone before. Well, I mean... He wanted everyone gone that was Targaryen. Yeah, and I really believe that it was Rhaegar that really... Because, you know, like with Lyanna Stark and, like, what actually was the whole thing is everyone thought that Rhaegar captured Lyanna and, like, raped her and held her against her will when... That's not that's what happened. happened. Like they yeah. loved each other, and I think that like I don't do. I, I wonder if um, Robert knew a little bit about that by any chance. Like I wonder if Robert knew about um, Rhaegar and Lyanna having a consensual relationship as opposed to uh, like it being forced upon Lyanna and she didn't want it, or you know, because like that's why Cersei and Robert have so much resentment towards each other because Robert never got over Lyanna's death, right? And Cersei never felt like she was like got any sort of love or affection. She was so happy to marry Robert in the beginning, and she kind of got, like, you know, <laughs> screwed right, out right. of it because he never got over the death of Leanna Stark. The first, what's the first thing that Robert did after he greeted everyone? He's like, let me go to the crypt. I want to pay my respects. And so he's like, you just got here. And he's like, Dad, come with me. Like, he didn't, he cared nothing about what Cersei said, did Absolutely or nothing. Robert really, I think he resented Cersei because he was forced to marry her as opposed to have the true love of his life, which was Leanna Stark. And I think the Lannisters always saw Rob as the biggest threat. Like, clearly. I think even... Going towards the end of the book and even going towards the end of the first season, you always felt like it was Rob that was going to get revenge the entire time. And it winds up not being that way. And what's great about this whole first book and this whole first season, the arc in general, is it really starts out with that whole conflict between the Lannisters and the Starks. It's not even about really Robert Baratheon. Has really no, I say beef. Well, no beef like, with the stars. Let's think about like in the timeline, just to go through it quickly. Like the timeline chain of events of like the conflict between the Lannisters and the Starks. 
Jamie pushes Bran out the window, right? That's the number one thing. Everyone, like, accepts it as he fell at first, and she, like, starts to have, like, an idea. She goes up there, finds a golden lock of hair in the tower. She thinks he was thrown. And then after that, like, like everyone thought that was over, but then Bran woke up. He tried to, like, get killed again, but someone got hired with a dagger of Valyrian steel to kill Bran. The wolf saved him. So then it's obvious that something happened. Right. You know, now, like, the Lannisters are definitely involved because who can afford a Valyrian steel dagger? Mm-hmm. You know, that was part of the king's retinue. No common soldier. So that's when, like, they had a big mistrust for the Lannisters. On top of that, Liza Aaron sent that letter saying the Lannisters were responsible for John Aaron's death. Right. So yeah. they already had the mistrust there. Then the thing happens, like, with the wolf biting Joffrey's hand when he was, like, deciding he wanted to show like show the butcher boy, hey, you're not a warrior, even though they were just playing around, Arya and the butcher boy were just playing around, and then, like, he gets bit by the wolf, and she throws a sword in, and they end up killing her wolf at that point, and Ned Stark was, was 100% really frustrated with, like, how the queen... And like was about her family, and they like, had to kill like a beast of the north because the direwolves are the Stark sigil. So that kind of built up from there. And then obviously when uh, Catelyn took Tyrion captive, like that ended up <laughs> boiling over yeah, right. to Jaime confronting Ned and them having that like like in, mm-hmm. in the series it was the fight in front of the the brothel. In the books they caught him on the road on horses. Um, but then so there was that conflict there, and like so this entire time. Like, Robert Baratheon, he's forced to love the Lannisters because they're half a kingdom in debt to Tywin. He has to, like, kind of listen to what he does because that's where he gets his funds from. At the same time, he really does genuinely, truly love the Starks, like, sees them as family. And so he's kind of torn. Like, he can't choose between the two of them, so he just, like, kind of is a dick to both of them sometimes. Right, exactly, yeah. You really kind of do see, especially in the books, how he kind of starts to break away from both of them. Like, just try to be his own person because he gets sick of it. It's not just his own person. It's like, dude, I need to figure out what's going to be bring peace to this realm. Like, I can't, Ned, like, I love you, but I can't, like, you know, bring justice upon Jamie. I'm in the kingdom of debt to his father. So, like, I need you to let this go. I know he killed your men. But then if you're, like, like if you're Ned, like, you just watched your, like, whole, like, family die. Especially not your family, but your, you know, your, your warriors or soldiers who you view as family you just saw them die in front of you, so you want justice. You're not yeah. going to get it. It's not your example because you're not going to get justice. At the same time, Cersei's mad because like she's like they're not uh, taking her side and, and doing everything to get Tyrion back yeah. for the Lannister name. So it's not so much that he's like drawing away from both of them. He just wants like guys like I cannot run this kingdom if the Lannisters and the Starks are fighting each other. Like yeah. get over it, both of you. You you stop. You stop. You try to play like big yeah, daddy exactly. more than anything. Which I want to like at least get this part out of the way because I think it's important for viewers to know this. This little conflict that the Starks and the Lannisters have had, this didn't just develop over because Bran was pushed out a window. No. Or, yeah, all. like this has been building ever since the Kingslayer, ever since Jamie started doing all that shit. Well, yeah, so I think that. I don't think that started the big. I, I think that Jamie Lannister was upset. I think, really, here's my own opinion. I think Jamie Lannister always wanted Ned Stark's approval because. Remember when he goes to like the kingdom and he sees Jamie like next to the throne? Right. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, dude, like the mad, like look what the Mad King did. Like I think that Jamie never got over the poor reception that followed him after he did kill Aerys Targaryen and stabbed him in the back. He said, listen, if I stabbed him in the belly, 
Like, would you respect me anymore? Like, right. like, like, listen, like, like Ned, like this guy literally killed your dad and your brother, burned alive in the throne room. No one did anything. Like, why do you hate me so much? Right. Like, why yeah. is it that you hate me? Because I, I went against like my, the oath that I swore and like I killed, uh, I killed the mad king. Like that's what needed to be done. Like mm-hmm. you guys were literally on your way to overthrow the king anyways. Why do you hate me so much? Exactly. And, like, I, I really think he always wanted Ned Stark's approval because Ned just kind of looked down on him like, oh, you're dishonorable. Like you, you know, you betrayed the post. And obviously yeah. that kind of comes in later. Like which side were the Lannisters really on? Like, cause they kind of stayed out of it until it became clear that Robert was going to win. The right. Yeah. And jumped in for him. And I think that was more of, you know, you kind of get that more detailed in the books, but I don't think that's really what started the conflict between the Lannisters and the Starks. I think that had animosity between those two. What I think is because, you know, a lot of times, especially portrayed back then, Women hold grudges, right? So, right, so yeah. the fact that Robert always loved Lyanna Stark and never felt that way towards Cersei, who had a lot of love for Robert Baratheon when they wanted to get like, when they married those houses, the Baratheons and, and the um, Lannisters, she she felt like slighted because yeah. you know even said like I listen like a, a dead girl got more love from you than me alive in your bed. Right. You know, I think that's where I think it started. Yeah, I think they always honestly. I think the Lannisters always felt like kind of the outsiders at that point, which is why they always tried to push for power. And uh, given that, because you, you, with the Starks, if you go even almost back when Aegon, Aegon was in power, like, it... Basically, they were, you know, they were threatened. It was going to be like a complete dictatorship. And when all that, you know, Robert's Rebellion and all that went down, I think it... Almost did kind of take sides where the Lannisters almost felt like they were that one house. Almost like, you know, if you had a family that's split up, right? And you give off all your will, right? And that one family got, instead of 75 cents, they got 50 cents thrown their way. Well, they always had some sort of a grudge that was kind of pushed their way to at least prove their worth, I would say. Here's the thing. I think they they're the ones that had all the golden resources, right? So, what what are the big four families of like? There, there, there's really four big big families in Westeros. If you don't if you don't count the Martells and Dorne, if we're just talking about like like the Seven Kingdoms. There, mm-hmm. like, legit, it's it's the Starks, it's the Lannisters, the Tyrells, and the Baratheons. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the Tyrells like own High Garden. Uh, you don't know much about the Tyrells in season one, other than the fact that Sir Loras Tyrell. He won the tournament with the Hound, like saving his life. But though, like outside of the Tyrells and High Garden, only the Lannisters made more money, right? Like, right. so like they are. Like, I, I get what you're saying to a point, but the biggest thing is like they never chose a side until it became clear who won. So like, it was always like these guys are more schemers. They don't have any sort of honor. Like they, they just you know, no one trusts them. Yeah, that's more, that's more of it than, than, than like, it. just no one trusts them. Because, you know, anytime, and I think that's, that's a good symbolism for the world, like, that we actually live in, too. It's like, if money is your main goal or objective, and everything you do is about money, no one's going to trust you because you have a price that you can either always pay or be paid for your loyalty, right. for your word and your honor. Which, I think the whole thing honestly broke down, which we're going to jump back to where we were on the timeline originally. But, you know, when he winds up, you know, blaming <laughs> the Lannisters you know, dad for treason and all that, when that goes down. I think that's when the big rift really occurred. I think I that, mean, was that was a bold like, move. That was. That was such a bold move. It was huge. 
But like that was an accumulation of the fact that his men got killed. Robert put him in charge. He wanted to go back to Winterfell. Robert's like, no, I'm the king. You stay in hand. I get what I want. I'm going on a hunt. You're taking the throne. And then on top of that, like, because if you guys remember, they poured fish heads out of that bag, which was like basically an insult to House Tully. Right, which is, yeah. Uh, that it was it's, for his mom. Yeah, yeah. like Ned Stark's wife, Catelyn Tully, uh, when they got married. Yeah, no, it's like an insult to her. So he's like, okay. So not only did they, you know, they did the mountain that rides, like, attack, like, the Riverlands here and, and destroy a bunch of crops and, 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 like, people's homes and their livelihood. Like, he did it and insulted my wife's house. So it's like, okay, great. Now, you know what? It's, it was almost like a tip or tat. Like, okay, you want to go there? Because, like, Catelyn took Tyrion hostage. So you want to go there? Great. Now, Sir Gregor Cochrane is, like, a false knight. I want him, you know, yeah. brought here back here to face the king's justice. And I'm naming Tywin Lannister an enemy of the crown if he doesn't show up to answer for this within this amount of time. Yeah, so he, he, like, it wasn't... It wasn't him, but he, he took it to the next level. It was basically as if you were at church camp or you were at a camp or somewhere over the summer, and, you know, one one group went and threw water balloons at another group, and then the other one went and decided to sabotage their water slide. Like, everyone kept going back and forth, yeah. and eventually this thing just spiraled way out of control. Exactly. No, I'm 100% with you. And so let, let's get back to the part where, you know, like, the king comes up, they pay respects to this, like, Liliana, you realize that Robert Baratheon, like, always wanted to. He, he tells Nark, listen, you, Ned Stark, that, hey, listen, you've got um, a daughter, I've got a son, we're going to join houses, I want you to be hand of the king. And so Ned, well, Ned didn't want it, but he always had a sense of duty to Robert, the king, and he would always do the right thing by duty, right? So he, he wasn't going to, he was obviously always going to accept, I think. But the fact that that letter came in from Liza Aaron saying, listen, the Lannisters are involved with John Aaron's death. Because, guys, if you don't remember, John Aaron was like a father to both Ned Stark and Robert Baratheon. And so, like, he wanted to get to the bottom now of this murder. He wanted to bring whoever murdered John Aaron to justice. And the only way he was going to be able to do that is if he did go to King's Landing and do some investigation. So now he had the kind of two motives. You know, he wanted to have, like, some sort of loyalty to his friend Robert, but also he wanted to bring justice to John Aaron's killer. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, we haven't even gotten into Tyrion or any of that yet. Right. But, you know, that's, that's, that's true too. Tyrion, like he, he, he was, uh, he was just, he was a little a bit, man, a man whore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like legit, he yeah, was just hating, yeah, he was definitely. hating women, the call girls and, which I think is funny, as they kind of progress, you kind of tend to see Tyrion mature up a little bit. Dude, Tyrion has one of the greatest character developments yeah. of all time, honestly. And and I believe he's the main reason. I think Peter Dinklage did an amazing job portraying oh, Tyrion. they did an excellent job. Now, was yeah. there appearance differences? Yes. So in the books, if you guys don't know this, Tyrion was supposed to be more grotesque and monster-esque looking. Like, his head was supposed to be, like, twice the size of his body, and one eye was supposed to be black, one eye was supposed to be green. Almost so, like a hunchback. Like, just Here really, yeah, just really grotesque, and they didn't portray him that way in the series, but for what they gave us, I don't think anyone could say that he didn't do a great job as Tyrion Lannister. I think he did an amazing job. Yes, he did. Yeah, so, I mean... Even when the show first came out to portray that, people were kind of like, whoa, like that was a interesting choice you made, like you're showing all these sex scenes with what's going on. So, it, uh, and it, what was great was audiences just like accepted it, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. 
But he he definitely has one of those arcs. He's a little bit sarcastic. Uh, I would also say... Well, uh, I'm talking about in the very beginning. Like, as far as book one and season one, he's... Yeah, he's more sarcastic in the later books and the later shows, I would say. But he's very pompous, if you noticed. Like, even when he goes into where they go ahead and pursue him, he didn't care that he was about to have to do a trial by combat. And I'm not even talking about the one with the Viper. Like, he just felt like he was always in the right. Yeah, I think, like, here's the thing. He, he, he's so cerebral, right? That's why, you know, in the very beginning where you kind of meet him, he's in the whorehouse with uh, Roz, um, you know, who, like, she, she's portrayed in a way in a book, but, like, it's not, it's not the same person. It's not, like, that's completely different. That's another thing we can get into. But he tells her, like, you know, my, my brother is the good-looking one and I'm the clever one. And it's, it's so true. It's shown. Like, the way he talks to people, he's got, he's got an era, like, like a mindset of I'm mentally superior to you. Like, that's funny when he talks to John Zoe, he talks down to John right, yeah. about him being a bastard. He talks down to Theon Greyjoy about their rebellion. He talks down to everyone. Because yeah. he is arrogant, but, like, like they, don't, they don't see him as an equal. They're like, oh, this is a dwarf. This is an imp. So he feels yeah, like he has to overcompensate exactly, yeah. by being so mentally ahead of where everybody else is. It's like someone with little man syndrome. These guys are great with their swords and weapons. I'm great with my words and my mind. Right, exactly. He um, Remember when he was talking to John, and John was like, you have no idea what it's like to be a bastard. And he said, all dwarves are bastards. In the father's eyes. So it, um, and I thought Peter Dinklage did an amazing job because no one else... No one knows what Peter Dinklage has had to even go through as far as trials and, and real life. being an actor in real yes. life. Yeah. yeah, And for him to embrace that role like he did and still not even be seen as just that character is absolutely fantastic. So a lot of respect for him yeah. in and, that role. And then you know who else we haven't even gotten, gotten to to this point is Daenerys Targaryen and how she's portrayed... You know, she, I mean, they did a great job of the casting for her. Obviously, she was portrayed to have violet eyes as opposed to what they did yeah. in the series. Um, and all Targaryens were, were really, but... Um, I know well, people are getting pissed about her eyebrows. Where you bleach the eyebrows, man? Where bleach the eyebrows, man? But yeah, they were almost like... Well, like they didn't do that for Viserys either. Yeah. Like, there's other Targaryens. Like, but either way, like... The, the big the big crux of the matter was she didn't have violet eyes. And outside of that, they followed her... Pretty close. Like, like development, very, very close throughout the books of where it was in, in the book one to the TV series season one. When she was over in Essos, like, yeah. like you know, got by um, Illyrio Mopantis, who, guys, we really need to talk to, like, I think he was behind the scenes doing a lot of stuff that we don't really realize. He was obviously the guy that was with, like, Lord Varys underground, Arya overheard, overhears them talking about, like, you know, executing the Hand of the King and, and some of the things, like the lions and the, the wolves. So Illyrio Mopantis is really, um, he, he was kind of goading the Targaryens into trying to take back Westeros, right? Because I, I, don't, I don't even know. He's saying things like, hey, these guys toast to your great health behind their king's back. They want their true king to return. When really that's not the case. Like, the, like, the commoners really don't care like, on a day-to-day basis who their king is as long as they're able to like, live their lives and like, they're not struggling. So it was like he was pushing them to do things, and he was kind of like a puppet master over there in Essos, but like facilitating the marriage between... 
um, the Dothraki and the Targaryens. So when Khal Droga was married to Daenerys and then promised Viserys the armory, and he kind of got put to the wayside and things of that nature, I think they did a great job following that from the book into the series. Yeah, no, I thought they did an excellent job. I mean, I feel like... You know, when it gets into some of the later seasons, and it's tough because I think Amelia Clark did an uh, excellent job as far as, you know, portraying the role of the badass she really becomes. But I, I, the imagery, she kind of looks more badass in the books, almost like an elf sort of yeah, thing. almost. Like Legolas or something. Right, yeah. and that's a good point that you bring up. It's like, the because they intermarried, like you know, they had that purebred, uh, yeah, almost like the father, like yeah. purebred, like, like just like um, Lucius Malfoy, right? Exactly, yeah, like you know, they wanted that bloodline to be pure, they were into that, like, superiority, like, mm-hmm. now listen, like, you know, we're not muddling this down with any other, right, yeah. So, obviously, with the incest that was going on there, like, they almost had like a they were their own superior race, so they're very, very interesting that you kind of depicted them as similar to elves. Um, they were fairer of skin, they, they had lighter of hair, uh, you know, they were very, very powerful with their connection with the dragons, so no, that's, right. really, that, that's really good, uh, you know. And one, one person we really haven't talked about yet, because we're just kind of diving into, you know, I guess you can really almost call, which I hate to say this because I feel like it doesn't give it enough respect, like a, a subplot of season one was Daenerys, because it was more about Kind of that conflict with the Starks and the Lannisters just getting start, started off, right? Agreed. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think if you break it down by chapters, Daenerys, for how big of a character she was, she had such a... She, I think she had less chapters than almost any other main pivotal character. Right. You know, which is interesting, too, because, you know, when I, when I was doing this in the books, like, I was reading through this, and I started to take a look into it more... Certain people didn't have um, their own chapter. Like, for example, Joffrey Baratheon never had a chapter in a book. Rob Stark never had a chapter in a book. Like, all the five kings, like, right. like yeah. Stannis never had his own chapter. But Robert Baratheon never had his own chapter. Like, it was all, you know, it was, it was following Catelyn, John, Arya, Sansa, Cersei. Like, it was like the people, they, so he didn't even have his own like, it's almost like, it, you know, I was actually reading, it's funny you brought this up, because I was reading a synopsis from an illustrator uh, earlier this week that was talking about that, and he said, you know, it's really, a lot of people miss the whole Game of Thrones arc is really focused more on the Starks and family, because it's showing what family can go through, but how realistically you're never going to have that glorious ending you want. And that's just real life. And so I feel like almost George at this point, he was trying to focus more on in the books of that core value set of the people that are trying to hold themselves together through the trials versus the people that have already made it. Right. And that, yeah, and it doesn't follow like the, the kings, right? So any of the five kings, that doesn't follow. It follows the people around them, their advisors, their the mothers, like whoever it may be. Like you know, for for um, Stannis, it was you know Sir Davos, right? So it, it's just really interesting how the people who are sub to be the next, you know, main protagonist never right. have. I don't believe Ned ever had a chapter two himself in the book either. But at, at the end of the day, guys, like it was really really interesting how all of these like they're. It, the plot line followed different characters, right? So follow Jon Snow. 
followed Daenerys Targaryen. It followed, uh, you know, Rob Stark to an extent of, you know, Catelyn going with him like to the war. And Theon actually ended up having his own chapter a couple times as well. Like, it, it just follows so many people that one thing that you told me a while ago is really interesting. Is like they switch the protagonist. Yep. Like, it's never like, like who you think is going to be the next person. All of a sudden, like it's like not just kidding. This is going to be the next person. Oh, well, you thought that's going to be the next person? Not quite. It's going to be this person. Like you know how we thought, you know, not to get too far ahead, that Jon Snow was going to be the next protagonist, but ended up being Arya, and then like right. it just it, it just kept switching around. So it's one of these series that really involves a lot of like intellect and deep thought into it. But what it really boils down to for season one is going to be the, the, the conflict between the Lannisters and the Starks, because we get to that point where, you know, if we, you know, fast forward, so right, Jamie pushes Bran out the window, Ned Stark decides to go down to King's Landing to be the Hand of the King, he starts having interactions with Lord Varys, who, like, you know, is the Master of he starts realizing, like, listen, no one else does things like me, with right. honor and truth and justice, they all have their own self-interest in, in mind, so he can't trust anyone, even, like, Lord Baelish, the Littlefinger, he said it best, he's like, not trusting me was the smartest thing that you've done since you've got here. Right. Which is very big foreshadowing of what he does. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's the glory of uh, what you kind of have going on in this first season, in this first book, and I love the way they introduced it in the show. Because you start kind of getting introduced to these different characters. Like, very shortly after Varys, you get introduced to Littlefinger. And even from the very beginning of seeing him, you start to see kind of what of a conniving snake he is. Both of them. Both of them are kind yeah. of snakes. You just decide to take Lord Varys' side because you think he's trying to do what's in the best of the realm versus Littlefinger's trying to do what's in the best interest of him. And we actually get introduced to Littlefinger before we get introduced to Varys when Catelyn comes down to tell mm-hmm. Ned about, you know, that I think the Lancers are involved with the pushing of Bran. He finds her and brings her to the brothel and is like, listen, like, I knew you were coming. Yeah. And then, like, Lord Varys, like, came in at that point in time. So you kind of meet them both at the same time. Yeah. Which, as you know, I'm sure, like, as far as in the TV show, one small little minor detail that was different was that, like, sex scene that happened with him actually didn't really exist in the books, where he was, like, like telling the whores what, like, to, do. what to do. Yeah, no, that, that wasn't but a thing in the book. I think that really did give an audience a wake-up call, like, right when they introduced him, like, wow, this really is a sick bastard. At this point, and, and here's the thing too: is like it's like a sick bastard that you feel like some sort of level of pity for. He loved this girl, Catelyn Stark, through his entire life. He dueled this guy who was way out of his league, like Brant, like a uh, Ned Stark's older brother. So they they fought, like they dueled, and he like he loses, and Catelyn's like, "No, don't kill him." He's like a little brother to me, like. Did you, you ever hear about that? Like, guys in the friend zone? Littlefinger was, like, the <laughs> ultimate friend zone guy, right? So, like... It, well, there's one more that we get into. Uh, Jorah, in show, yeah. Right? It's a little bit Okay, more that's different. Zone. Like, like Jorah and Daenerys, are, their age difference is why. You know who Littlefinger was? Littlefinger is, like, that guy that pretends he's friends with you at a club for, like, three weeks, but really is to get with your girlfriend. That's, like, who Got he is. Just, like, like, what can I yeah. get for myself? I'll hang yeah. out with you as long as it's, like, beneficial for me. And so, like, like, when are we chilling? By the way, like, you bringing your girl with you? Because you know, like, and the thing is, like, he wasn't even that sneaky about it. Like, he would tell like Ned Stark to his face, like, "Oh, I love your wife." And then, like, you know, <laughs> and at the end, like, so messed up. Where she, like, uh, Callan goes back. 
like you know, looking if she loves you, and she's like, oh, does he? Like she, like she never cared about him that way. Yeah. But he, like, obviously was always in love with her. But he is a snake from the beginning snake, to the end. Big snake from the beginning to the end, you know. But the thing is, you have to respect him. You almost have to pity him a little bit because he is cunning. He could see he's yeah, so manipulative. He really is. Yeah. He's very, very manipulative to where like you believe what he's saying. Like with his words, and he can bring up like certain scenarios and actions and twist them to what he wants you to do, you know. So you know who he is. He is the guy in class. Like, say you're in class and you're supposed to do this big project, right? And everyone's worked their ass off all year to finally get their A, and he gets his A because he came up with it like 30 minutes before and completely winged it in front of the teacher and just sold this bullshit story in front of everyone, and the teacher's like. You guys need to be more like him. Like he's fantastic. It, yeah, that's who Littlefinger is. He, he, he's you know we said it right though. He's a snake. So, but he, like, you feel bad for him because all he did was ever love this one girl his whole life, wanted to be with her. But like he always wanted to make something of himself to prove that he was just like these big powerful right, families. Yeah. So he really rose up from that guy, you know, to literally the master of coin in King's Landing, right. which is a really really prestigious title. Which not to interrupt you here, but yeah. just to bring us up before we get cute. Too uh, far down the far down the creek here. <laughs> Keep on sailing until we stop. Um, I really liked how you mentioned, you know, all the different protagonists because it really makes you even think back to our topic of last week. Like all the great franchises really do that if you break it down. Yes, almost like you know Jennifer and Geralt, and then you had um, Cerulea. I mean, it, Cerulea. it's. Each different protagonist, Dude, almost like the Lord of the Rings too. You follow Aragorn, you follow Frodo, you follow like the um, the other two hobbits, Merry and Pippin. Like, right. like legit, you, you, that has you follow different different areas, yeah. right? So it, it's very interesting when they do that, and I think that's a characteristic of all really great series. Now, right. Harry Potter really didn't do it that much, but Harry Potter it was basically called Harry Ron. It was Harry, Harry, right? Yeah, right. So. That was like really the one that didn't. But outside of that, like it, you know, even in Aragon, it'll follow Murtaugh for a little bit. It followed um, Roran from um, Carvajal. Yeah. Like you know, so right. it followed Aragon. So like all great fantasy universes really follow multiple like plots for different right. people, different protagonists. The thing was the Game of Thrones; they took it to a next level because as soon as you thought it was one of these people, they die, and you're like, yeah, Whoa, and they were gone. Definitely like, wasn't ready for that. It was like, literally the it is the series and it is the show where they were. They were known as the show in series that wasn't afraid to do whatever they had to do. Like, you know, like, like weren't afraid. What are all. we going to compare it to for people who don't watch fantasy? Maybe Grey's Anatomy, right? This <laughs> kills off, like, the main characters, like, it's nothing. But had a good run. Regardless. <laughs> Have a good man. day. Have a good day. That's, yeah, but. So now let, let's kind of get back to, like, the whole crux of the matter. It's like, why did why did the Lannisters push Bran out to win? Why did they want Bran to die? Like, what did the key know? And they see. And so while the Ned Stark's in King's Landing, he's trying to figure out what John Aaron found out. He looks at the books, starts looking at people's, like, you know, like the book basically was a uh, history of all the big, big name families. And so he, like, he, the, the wheels, like, start turning, but it hasn't clicked yet what that meant to him. And then when he starts going to find the other people that John Aaron talked to, he starts realizing, oh, like, like these are these are people like these are children of Robert Baratheon. These are Robert Baratheon's bastards. Why is right. it so important? Like that that like he had to find them all. Like, he wasn't trying to take care of them. He didn't yeah. try to bring them in. Like there was something else to it. And it wasn't clicking. And it was crazy when it, it clicked in the books and in the series when Sansa said Joffrey's nothing like the king. Right. And then he's like, holy shit. 
Joffrey's not Nothing Robert's right son. Like, yeah. like, oh my goodness. Like, yeah, like exactly. that's when he figured yeah. it out. And he went back to the book and saw, like, all the Brathians, why it was so important. Dark of hair, dark of eyes. All of them. Every single one. That's why he said the seed is strong. Because I've, all Robert's children came out a certain way. Exactly. Dark hair, dark eyes. And Joffrey happened to have, like, all three of the children happened to have blonde hair right. and light eyes. And I think you, you brought up an excellent point because I was about to say that too because so many people miss it. They think, oh man, they really didn't want them to find out that they were brother and sister having sex. They really didn't care because look at the Targaryens. They were doing yeah. this shit for ages. That, to your point, like not to interrupt you either, but just what you just said. What did Cersei do? Like when Ned like, confronted no one her. Heard about that. Like when Ned said, yeah. like your brother or your lover, he's like, she's like yeah, like, we, we, who like, cares? We Tell the world. Like, yeah. Who cares? But it was who the cares? fact that the, the children weren't Roberts and that Robert would have, like, number one, like, killed them all. Had Literally, them all like, messed up the entire yeah, line. Exactly. The Lannisters would have been done for. And that's, I think that was the biggest fear is that once the once Robert Baratheon found out, it no longer became safe now that Ned Stark knew. It no longer became safe for the Lannisters, so they had to kill Robert Baratheon. Right. Yeah. And... You know, going in from there, I mean, it. Uh, this is where, you know, this conflict really, I mean, because it really wasn't that big of a deal before, because they were hoping, you know, Bran would really just die in his deathbed. I mean, Cersei even went to go visit Lady yeah, Stark. Like respect. Yeah, just as respect, which really was to make sure he, he died. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, um... It, this is really when the conflict exploded, and this goes into the whole scene where, you know, starting to, you know, um, Ned and Rob were sitting at the dinner table with the knights around. We're just sitting there kind of reminiscing of the past, and we really start to get introduced to Danny because um, the conflict's definitely kind of exploded in multiple ways at this point. And he says, you know, this is where my point is. Their plan was this whole plan from the beginning because he even says, "What about Daenerys Targaryen? Like, what about that one exiled child?" And they were like, "Well, nothing's nothing's going to happen. Don't worry about it." And then they're sitting at the dinner table, and he says, "She's already breeding now, so now we got another problem." And that's when we're kind of introduced well, to that whole side. Yes, yes, and no. So. You had some things right there. The, the couple of things, like, uh, adjustments I'll make to what you said is, like, they were in the field when he brings up Daenerys. Like, when they were on their way from Winterfell to King's Landing, when he f first brings up Daenerys, and he's like, tell me we're not sp speaking of this, like, murdering a child. It's like, oh, it's unspeakable, is it? Like, like, you know, I will kill every single Targaryen that exists for what they did to your family. Right. Right? So, like, like Robert's, like, trying to get Ned on his side, like, like trying to, like, draw that emotion. Like, remember what they did to your brother, your father, your sister. Like, like, we need to exterminate the world of Targaryens. And then it goes back further. Once, you know, we, if we follow Daenerys's you know, plot line, she marries Khal Drogo. She ends up, you know, and this is the thing we've got to talk about. About, like, hey, was she actually in love with Khal Drogo? Or was she just raped constantly until she didn't want to feel pain anymore and just decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to make the best of the situation. I'm going to love you the best that I can. But uh, not to get into that too much anymore. I want, I want to get to the original point here of the, the, the correction I want to make is that after she turns out that she's pregnant and like they got the information from Jorah Mormont, like they're in the king's council. Like I remember when uh, he was told that Catelyn took Tyrion 
that one guy found uh, Ned, and he's like, uh, Lord Stark, you know, you, uh, the king's requires your attention in, in the council. He's like, is it regarding my wife? He's worried that, like, oh, shoot, they found out that I took, like, that Catelyn took Tyrion. That's what, what Yorn comes in and yeah, says right. that happens. Okay. So yeah. then, then he's in, it's actually a small council meeting when they, they hey, listen, now, like, he's like, the hall is pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. how he said it, right? So, like, yeah. you know, that's when they had, that's when we really saw uh, Ned and, and Robert had their first real, real conflict because Ned's like, listen, that's not in my DNA. I can't murder his children. You're going to dishonor yourself forever if you go through with this. And he's like, well, you're the hand. You'll do what I say. And he's like, takes off the badge. And he's like, right. boom. But that's when, oh, that's what I was trying to get, the point I was trying to make, which is just kind of jumping down, you know, the timeline for this season. But that's really where, yes, you already had the conflict spiraling out of control, but that's really where it kind of caused a rift between Rob and Ned at that point. Yeah. Like, they started kind of losing, yes, they still had friendship like brothers, but they started losing respect for one another. Well, I think, I, I think you, know, you know what I really believe was the first time that Ned Stark started to lose a little bit of respect for Robert? It was when they had the Hand of the King tournament. And it was come to be that Robert wanted to ride in joust. Right, yeah. And he walks into that tent, and Lancel Lannister was, like, trying to get the breastplate on him, mm -hmm. and, like, he was too fat for his armor, and, like, that makes that joke. Oh, yeah, that's right, too yeah. Fat for your armor. <laughs> and then, like, uh, you know, he gives Lancel all the time, kicks him out of the tent, and then Ned's like, no, like, listen, Robert, no one would, everyone would let you win because no one would dare strike you down, like, off mm -hmm. the thing, like, you're the king. And he's like, ah, oh, like, when, where did this all go wrong? He starts to, you start to see, like, Ned, like, starting to, like, like, this king is putting the kingdom in debt. Like, we're already a bunch of millions of golden crowns in debt to the Lannisters. He had to have this big tournament to show, like, he's not, he's not a good king. I right, think that's yeah. what about. He's not a good king. Because then he starts yeah. walking out, like, Robert, look at yourself. And he's like, like, my friend, the king, the person I follow is now a drunk. He turns around and he had like that, like the stomach like, thing he was open. Super out of shape. Yeah, the stomach thing open. Yeah. He's like, you can't go out to like the, the tournament. And like Robert tries out, like, oh, bouncy a king, you shits. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, like, the thing like sticking out. And it you reminds see, me see, like, of like pain in his eyes. Yeah, pain in his eyes. Like, listen, this isn't the man that I remember. Like, like this is how far it's come. And I think that's when he started to lose a little bit of respect for Robert because he's not the person that. Like they they took over the kingdom with he's someone entirely different someone just cares about his own wants his own needs like getting drunk whoring around doing X Y Z anything right. like doing what's good for the kingdom and I think that's where their rift started and then it it climaxed at the disagreement about how to handle Daenerys Targaryen which you know at that tournament you brought up a good point because there's another guy that makes a big a big scene there that we haven't really talked about a lot and that's the Hound yeah the Hound in the Mountain both of them yes. Yeah. If it wasn't for the Hound, I mean, remember, through that big fit there. Yeah, Solaris <laughs> would have been dead. Yeah. The Night of the Flowers would have been dead. That would have, you know, that would have been a huge you know, change of stuff there. So you find, you find out that, like, because here's the thing. The way that the Hound is portrayed in the books and in the series is, like, like he's a cold-hearted, like, almost... You, they, he wants you to think he's just as big and bad as his brother, but he has a heart. He, he more or less does, tries to do what's right than just killing because he wants to, like, the mountain race. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, he, he stepped in. Plus, he's always had this hatred for his brother because of how their situation came, how he got burned, you know, for, for doing something so silly. But you're right, good, good, good time to bring in the Hound, another big character. Uh, you know, so, let, like, you know, since we kind of got to the part where 
Ned Stark's at King's Landing starting to investigate John Aaron's death, kind of comes to that realization, like, with the hands tournament, Sir Hugh dies, Sir Hugh was the one that was closest to John Aaron, had his position as a knight because of John Aaron, he gets killed off, he realized that the mountain didn't kill Sir Hugh in the jousting by accident, it was on purpose, so all these things are scheming, and things are reeling around in Ned's head, and then that big, you know, blowout with, with Robert happens, and he throws his badge of, like, you know, the um, Hand of the King badge yeah. on the table, so now... It's interesting because he's no longer Hand of the King. He's no longer Hand of the King, but like, he goes to go back to Winterfell. And this is where I'm wondering, did Littlefinger know this could have happened? Because if they would have just let Ned go back to Winterfell without like Littlefinger going to him, hey, like, listen, I could take you to the last person that John Aaron saw while he was alive. And Because like, like, at that point in time... You didn't need to see any more bastards. You had you had right, standing exactly. Like yeah. So all they did was like show you again the same thing you already knew. So it's like was was Littlefinger trying to delay Ned from leaving more than anything? Because if he would just went back to Winterfell, like obviously that that uh, like confrontation he had with Jamie in front of Littlefinger's brothel would never happen. But now right. things take a whole another turn because now after he has a big fit about you know I'm not the Hand of King anymore, like you know good luck to it. Find someone who's okay with murdering a child. I'm not. So he goes like to pack everything up. So they go, you know, Jory, go get my girls. We're gonna go. You know, we're gonna head back to Winterfell and make sure that they, you know, you and two of my best swords. So that's when the little finger comes in. Like, hey, listen, I want to take you. It's take less than an hour. Let's go see the last person John Aaron saw alive. Right. right? And so this whole time, like you know, Littlefinger knows the secret. But he's not telling that story because he can't tell him. But he wants right. he wants him to figure it out because then it takes the pressure off of like of him, right? So from there, like Jamie Lannister confronts him outside the brothel in the series. So this is interesting because actually this is one of the parts where I like what happened in the TV series more than the books. Right. We had a showdown with the Lannisters and the Starks, like crossing swords, bang bang. Like in the books, it was a lot different. You know, he's like, you know, you're not going to be able to do anything to me. I'm the Hand of the King. And Jamie's like, you're not the Hand of the King. I don't know what you are anymore. He's like, Robert will, you know, will execute you if you yeah. kill me or whatever. Yeah. Like, so, like, yeah, me. you know, say, okay, fine. Spare his life, kill his men. Right? And so that's when, you know, Jory ends up getting killed. Where, here's the thing. In, in the books, like, Ned Stark goes to, like, get off his horse. And, like, the big whole thing happened. He ended up breaking his leg under his horse. He didn't actually yeah, have yeah. a fight with Jamie Lannister right, yeah. in the books. Mm -hmm. Where in the series... We got to see a sword fight between Ned Stark and Jamie Lannister. And Jamie Lannister was toying with Ned Stark. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Jamie Lannister far outclasses Ned Stark as a warrior. Because you can see, like, like the little things, like, he had that shock of surprise. Like, oh, Ned, you're not as bad as I thought. Like, he was trying to, like, like see what he was doing. Like, he would, like, like put the sword at him and he would smile because he's like, oh, okay. You're not a terrible swordsman. Like, like, I obviously way outclass you in this. But, like, my little tiny things I was doing, you did catch on. But Ned Stark, he was sweating, trying as hard as he could to, like, you know... Like, oh, yeah. No, definitely. And that's where I feel like it does it almost justice for the show. Because everyone was kind of gearing up for what's going to be that big moment of season one. But you don't want to give away what's going to be a big moment, of course. So they had to put something in there to keep their attention. Like, almost this is going to be the big climax. So you kind of have that moment, and I do think, I really like the idea that they showed this in the show, because it does start to kind of give an idea of who Jamie really was. I still think in the shows, 
they don't give him enough justice. I almost wish they per had continued to pursue the Blood Moon show, which now they decided to change it to House of House of Fire, uh, House of Targaryen, House of Fire, I think is what it's called now, uh, and it's more based on fire and blood. But they were gonna go with Blood Moon because it was more about Robert's rebellion. Um, so if you had gotten to see that, you would have kind of gotten to see how Jamie was trained, how he came up, and really the fighter who he became to be. And you don't get to see that a lot in the show. Like I said, man, like he was one of the top swordsmen in the kingdom. Like there was a few that I, and I named earlier. Barristan Selmy was really highly regarded in his prime as the best swordsman ever. Sir Arthur Dane, the Sword of the Morning, he could fight like with two swords, left and right-handed, like better than anybody. So there was a few that were, were like you know better than him, but he was an equal with the highest level caliber swordsman in the entire in, in all of Westeros. So. You know, like, like I said, Ned Stark is trying his butt off, trying to, like, you know, defend yeah. his, like, people. Because, like, Jamie Lannister killed Jory in there. But it was, like, it wasn't Jamie who killed Jory in the books. It was just the Lannister men who killed Jory. Right. Didn't stab him through the eye like that. It was a little bit different. Regardless, same thing happens. His leg was broken in the books underneath the fall of the horses. It was stabbed through in the series. This is where I like the TV series more than the book is that... It was great to see a fight scene between between uh, Ned and Jamie because yeah, it was, it was kind of building up between their interactions. Right. The very interaction in Winterfell is like uh, people have been swinging at me for years, never seemed to hit. And he's like, yeah. "Well, you've chosen your enemies wisely." So you always felt <laughs> like there was some animosity between them. It was great to see them battle it out. Jamie was surprised how at, like how good Ned was, but I don't believe for one second either one of them thought that Ned was the better sword. I still sword. say it's like Kylo Ren and Rey. Like I don't think there was ever a point where even Kylo Ren was sitting there like, "Okay, Rey, you got me." I think. I mean, I still think. Which I do say the show kind of made it seem as if Ned was going to hold his own for a bit, like as far as when the yeah. other guy stabbed Ned, but I really think it was no contest at that point. No, it wasn't. Yeah. And so you're right, and this is at the part where like Robert really, like you, you have to see the dilemma that Robert's in. Right, so Catelyn Stark took Tyrion Lannister, which is like a direct son of Tywin Lannister, who he's in debt to. So, you know, He's in. Like, he needs to have Ned call that off, like like release Tyrion. But then, like he also he feels like a, a, a sense of duty to his best friend and brother Ned Stark. Like they just like the Lannisters just killed all of his men. And like Cersei tried to really disgrace Ned's honor by saying he came home drunk from a brothel. If you know Ned Stark, and anyone knows Ned Stark. No one is ever once going to believe that he came home drunk from a brothel. Oh, right? yeah, like, no, like, he's the biggest not. man of honor that you're going to see, not. so she's trying to like, vilify him. And Robert smacks her. Robert, right, yeah. Robert smacks her in the face. Because like, like, she said something along the lines of, like, you know, uh, I, I, you should wear the gown and I'll wear the crown, or something mm -hmm. like that. And bang, smacks her. But regardless, like, that's when like, he, he's basically like, listen, Ned, I can't do anything about the fact that your men died. Like, I'm a half a kingdom in debt to Tywin. Like, you need to release Tyrion. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, like I, you know, obviously I'm not going to punish you for your role in this, but I can't give you what you want. I can't have you bring Jamie to justice. Like, it's, right. it's just not going to happen. I want you to be hand of the king still, though. Yes. That's where he, like, you know, so he, like, Robert tried to do his best give and take given his circumstances. I mean, none of, no none of us are going to really lie and say that Robert was a good king. Robert Robert was a terrible king. He was the worst king of Westeros that he, he was, probably ever had. He was pretty bad. Like, obviously, he didn't have that, like, you know, he didn't kill innocents for fun and things like that, like Aerys Targaryen did, the Mad King. But the fact is, he didn't know how to run a kingdom. All he wanted to do was fight and kill. That's all he knew how to do. Like, it would be 
it would be very similar to the best warrior becoming president of the United States, like the, our best soldier. Like just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you can run. run like, you don't country, have like the yeah. mind and the like the political yeah. acumen. Like all you know is this one thing that doesn't make you good to lead all all of everything. So he he was not a great king, but he was a good man. He was a good man when it came down to it. Like he tried to do his best to appease both sides, both the Starks and the Lannisters, and I thought that was a really big iconic yeah. moment. He really didn't have. Uh, going to your point, though, I mean, he really didn't have any sense of, you know, judgment on how to do do things. Going all the way even back to when, you know, Cersei was trying to put on the pressure of accusing. You know, lady, the dog lady, of uh, really attacking Joffrey, and it could have. Which was Nymeria, not even the right dog. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which goes into that. And uh, of really robbing the heir of the throne, which, you know, he, it's like he was even saying, kids are going to be kids, they'll fight, which it, we know really wasn't what happened, and it was completely all Joffrey's fault. Yeah. But even to a sense of if you're looking from the outside, then, you know, he should have been a man enough and said, no, we're not going to kill the dog. You know, things happen, it's fine. And instead, what did he do? He said, yeah, no, go kill the other dog. He didn't say that. He just said, as you will. Like, he just yeah, wanted like, to get his wife to shut up. Just he didn't just care. wanted Cersei to, to shut up. Like, like uh, you would have the beast live who named your, your son's hand. He will bear these scars forever. It's like she, like, he just wanted her to be quiet. He wanted nothing to deal with it. Because when he first heard, like, like we found no trace of the, the wolf in the woods. He's like, okay, so be right. it. Can't find the wolf. Then she's like, well, there's another wolf. And then he's like, all right, as you will. Like, he just wanted her to shut up. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Which, uh, let's get into this real quick. As, you know, we're kind of jumping in the timeline here, one thing that was great about this season is the amazing foreshadowing. Like, for instance, the yeah. episode, you know, cripples, uh, cripples and bastards. And you know, broken things. And broken things. Yeah. Uh, one thing, you know, getting into even Bran, so at this point you learn Bran is going to wind up living at yep. this point, right? Yep. And, you know, one thing that he does wind up noticing is the three-eyed raven. So yeah. Yeah. So, and that really does foreshadow, which, you know, we're going to wind up seeing in the later, later seasons and also reading in the books of how, you know, he kind of foresees all things at this point. And he's no longer going to really be, you know, who the brand who yeah. he really was, right? Even going in down to the littlest detail of, you know, Ned goes and visits Gendry at one point. And he really does see for who the man Gendry is. And Ned's always was that guy that saw the good in people. That's just who he well, Gendry was. Gendry was a great idiot. Right? He's a blacksmith. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. He's just you know, Robert's bastard. But um, another thing, too, we start to see is that in the books, it, it was more portrayed than in the series. And I think this is one thing I do like about the books more. Because when he brought that point about the... The dreams that he was having right, out yeah. of the three-eyed raven, he was also having dreams of him like running in the wild, being the wolf. Right. Yeah. So he in the books, him. there's more of a uh, connection with the Starks and their wolves than is really portrayed in in the TV series. In the TV series, you think they just are really well trained and they listen to what they say, but no, there's an actual connection. Like they are part of the wolf, and the wolf is part of them. And now we'll get back into later, like you know, when we get into Rob Stark and his wolf, um, Grey Wind, and like the kind of bond they had, but. Um, as of, you know, with Bran, he starts seeing in the books that he starts 
you know, since he can't walk or run anymore or do anything with his legs, when he falls asleep, he takes the, the he becomes a part of the body of uh, Summer, which is his dire wolf, and runs and hunts and, and does things in the books where they don't really portray that in the, in the TV series. Which I'm glad you brought that up. Because, yeah, I, there's very rare where you ever, if there really is, I got a really nitpick here, but there's, I very rarely do you see anyone warg into a wolf. Which that was like the whole Starks almost like whole thing, almost like the Targaryens with their dragons. Yeah. Like in the books. So that was kinda disappointing, but my whole point is, you know, this whole first season you see tons of foreshadowing awesome. here. Even to the point of Arya, like she's training and you know, we get one of the most famous quotes we always hear is not today. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's training and you know, with their trainer there. Not in Broadway. Serial Pharrell. Serial Pharrell, yeah. And the one of the things he even says to her is like, uh, Pierce Water leaks out and they die. And that's yeah. one thing he always says to her. And it showed, really, you're starting to kind of foresee Arya is not this little girl yeah, no, that's not going to do Destin, I think we first found that out way back when Bran was shooting the bow at the target and then like, when he tried to pull it back one more time, all of a sudden an arrow goes right through the directly the center of the target and it turned right. around and it was Arya that shot it. Yeah. That, like, like, there was some huge yeah. foreshadowing. There's everything. even where he was training her and he told her where to stab with needle. Yeah. If you look, I mean, say whatever you want about the long night, I agree with you in definitely some instances, but you cannot say that was not planned. Because if you go all the way back, look, where does she wind up stabbing? Look, here, here's the thing. Like, yes, I, I'm okay with that happening. I think that was the way it should have happened, but there's been a lot more to that. But we're getting, we're jumping too far <laughs> ahead. Let's get back to you know, where we're at. So, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of foreshadowing, and even on, like, you know, in, in Essos as well, where she, like, you know, uh, had the, the baby, like, she ate that heart. Like, you know, Viserys is now dead because he, he, he tried to draw a weapon in Bastothrak. You're not allowed to shed blood in Bastothrak. So it was interesting what they did instead of, like, because, like, you can't shed blood. That is the actual terms. So they killed Viserys without, he didn't shed a drop of blood. They put the, the molten crown on top of his head and he died, but not one ounce of blood was shed. It was really, really cool, interesting how they did that. So, like, they, they kind of loopholed the rule. They killed somebody, right, but yeah. no blood was shed. It was, right. I thought that was really dope. Yeah, so that was really good. Um, yeah, and so, uh, you know, we get introduced to Jorah Mormont a little bit, realize that uh, Ned Stark actually um, banished him, uh, but he's working for them as a, as a spy to try to get his pardon so he can come back to the Seven Kingdoms. Um, what he did, he traded slaves to make money because his first wife, uh, she kind of, like, was a, had a very expensive taste, and then she just left him for another man, anyways, because she didn't like the life of Bear Island. But, right. Yeah. You know. So, but the thing is, like, you start realizing Jorah has more than just normal like admiration for Daenerys, because he says you remind me a lot of her. So then you start to see like there's something weird about the way that Jorah yeah. feels about Daenerys, and even in season one, because what did Viserys say? I see the way that you look at my sister. He is the like, friend zone guy. He is the guy that will shop with you at Victoria's Secret all the way to the very end of the mall till you pass out through the belt, and then you're going to stop at Bed Bath and & Beyond. <laughs> and it is very sad. It, it, well, the thing is, too, is it, it's very strange. It's very weird, because like, like, when he kisses her for the first time, she didn't like, like it. She like men, like in her head like he can't ever do that again like yeah. you know in the books when he kissed her but like it, it was just <laughs> yeah it's it was, very strange like he because she was 
like a teenager, and he's in his like thirties. It was weird, yeah, like, you know. So it it kind of he didn't but, have blind loyalty. He always wanted something for it, but he did do his best to protect her at all times, and we do have to respect him for that. I think people do forget though. He also served her dad, and so I think he feels very connected to that family. Uh, which also, like, in that family, keep in mind, you know, they've been pure breeding for who knows how long, so he's probably used to it. But it, um, I think another thing the show didn't really show as much in the first season, which you find out later on, you know, as he winds up getting sent into the pits and all that different stuff, like, really how good of a fighter he was, because he was, people forget, like, he was defending these lands for decades, He's a knight. He's yeah. a knight. <laughs> you know, I mean, what more do you want? Knights are supposed to be the greatest fighters. So, yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of going back into this a little bit with where Viserys dies, and you know, Khal Drogo decides they're going to take over. Like, like, either, well, before we get into that ceremony where he starts having that big old, uh, you know, speech and getting everyone fired up to go take the Seven Kingdoms back, right? Because uh, we know what ends up happening there with uh, him having a disagreement with one of his Kalasar. Uh, on the backside there, Robert goes out for that hunt after like like the Ned thing happens to his leg, comes back and he's gored terribly by the boar, and it's it's clear that Robert Baratheon's going to die, and Ned Stark has a choice to make, you know, and this could have really changed everything. If Ned Stark tells Robert right then and there what happened, like with Cersei and Jaime, you know, everything could have changed. But he's like, I don't want my my best friend to die with that knowledge. Like right. he wants like he wants him to go in peace. Like he doesn't want to put that burden as he's dying. So he almost decides to go against his own creed of telling someone the truth and being honest because he wants to do what's right for Robert. Well, what's right, quote-unquote. You know, like, I don't want to cause him any pain. Like, he's like he's dying. I don't want that to be one of the last things that, you know. But you almost wonder, right, if Rob... You really feel like Ned should have been king. Like, it wasn't worked out that way, and, you know, and what happened, and bloodlines, but Ned really would have been the perfect king. Like, he wasn't he the biggest, it. but he thought of the people, and he always thought of others, you know, what was going to help the whole of the nation before himself. Remember what again, Cersei said, like, the biggest mistake he ever made was not taking the Iron Throne. He's like, listen, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but that wasn't one of them. Right. He never wanted that. He never, like, you know, he could have taken the throne for himself. He said all I had, like, Cersei said all you had to do was climb the steps and take it for yourself. He's like, listen, I, I don't want that. Yeah. I've, got, yeah. I've got no desire to be, like, you know, to be the king of all of this. Like, you know, so would he have been a good one? Yes, but he never wanted it. And it wasn't for him. So yeah. now Robert's on his death of dying. He's got the decision. He decides he's not going to tell um, Robert what's going to happen. But then they start conspiring already before Robert even dies about what we're going to do. Uh, Renly comes in, like, listen, like, I can get 100 swords at the back where, you know, we can do this so that way they don't take, you know, the Lannisters don't take this over. Right. Right? And so... Which, uh, before you start diving into that, I think one guy we almost kind of skipped over, which I gotta say, I was pretty impressed by the acting ability by this guy that everyone really forgets, honestly. Uh, I looked his name up earlier, because it's a guy that everyone forgets. Um, what was his name? Like, Holland or something? And Harold? Who the guy that, uh, so, one guy that I really thought the character was really played out well in the show was Viserys. 
Oh, um, the source, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it really goes to show... So a lot of people, like, completely hate on him, right? And you really do, especially if you're watching it for the first time and you're kind of reading the books for the first time, you really do have to kind of, like, despise him and his character. However, I will say, if you start to kind of look from perspective and kind of take your self out of it and put yourself in his shoes... He's a, he's, I would say like 75% of his sister, because he's really trying to do whatever he can to take it for himself, which is almost what she winds up developing onto. And it even goes into the point of, you know, he thought all this was going to happen, and he was very arrogant and pompous when she was seen as almost like this little kind of princess very kind of timid, doesn't really speak speak her mind about that sort of thing or have an opinion and remember like what he was he was willing to do. He was willing to give her up to the entire Dothraki army and let and them the horses. And the horses. I would have all forty thousand and their horses. Yeah. Mm-mm, like that. Exactly. Like did not care. Um, or even when you know, this wasn't in the books, but I thought they portrayed it well in the show. They had, like, all it says in the books is they had sex. But remember, he was hooking up with that girl in, like, the hot tub or whatever? Dorea. Yeah. Dorea. And, yeah, he told Dorea, he said, I didn't buy you for your opinion. Like, he didn't care. Like, he didn't care. It was always really his way or the highway. And if you think about it, he... Man, it's it's tough because he's almost like a combination of Littlefinger, but also he's seventy five percent of his sister. I would say because he's conniving and he's a snake and he's willing to do whatever he can to get to the top. But at the same time, he still craved that power. You can definitely yeah. see how he's part of the Targaryen line for sure. I wouldn't compare him to Littlefinger because I don't believe Viserys had the um, the cunning or the cleverness of Littlefinger. I would say. He, he's very, very much his own character in the fact that he wanted, to, he was very selfish. Everything he wanted was for himself. Like, I'm the dragon. You don't want to anger me. I'm the dragon. I'm going to rule all this. Like, they drink secret toast to me. They're drinking. Yeah. Like, like, think about it like this way, right? They got driven from their homes when he was three and she was like two or one. So he, he only ever knows, like, he was never raised. All he knows is, like, listen, all of your land and everything was taken from you. You were next in line to be a king, like, you know, well, your brother Rhaegar was, but when he was killed, you would have been, you know, next in line to be king. You would have had all this for yourself. Like, you know, it, that's why I say Illyrio Mopantis really is a puppet master because he plays to, to that, like, level. It's almost like he wanted, he wanted this big war, you know? And that's, that's something that's super huge that I think people really miss is, and I, I think he might play a bigger role as the book series goes on, but in the in the TV series, he only showed up like a couple times, and it was never for anything like big. But the fact is, like he's the whole reason that these Targaryens want their land back because right, if yeah, they're babies, if they're babies, how are they going to know about the stuff unless you're constantly feeding them this and telling them this and like letting them know like oh like all these things happen. Like, if you're three years old, you like I don't remember what happened when I was three. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. So. Like, legitimately, he's egging this on. And so all Viserys knows is everything that he's owed and deserved. And so that's where his, like, you know, sense of 
you know, selfishness comes from. It's like, well, this is, I, I was told since I was three, this is all mine. I want it now. Give it to me. Like, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm right. going to just go ahead first. Like, he had no sense of diplom- like, diplomacy to talk to anybody or figure it out because, you know, Khal Drogo, for all it seemed, like, for what it's worth, he seemed, he, like, he's a man of his word. Like, he would have yeah. given his army on his own time. You know what I mean? Like, that was a whole deal. Like, right. I give you Daenerys, like, you know, she'd be your wife, and you give me an army. And, you know, if he would have just waited it out, but he didn't know anything. He didn't know how to talk to people. He had no training on being a diplomat, how to be a king, how to inspire love from his leaders. And Daenerys had that instinctually. Yeah. So he was very similar to her and wanting things to happen, but he was so ruthless and cruel and mean to her, too. Like, she like he, she still loved him and cared about him, all up to the point where she let him die while she looked at him in the face because, like, she, she's basically at a loss. Like, listen, nothing is, like, you, you try to... You've hit me. You tried to kill me. Like I, I you're not going to take us where we need to be. I'm going to be the Targaryen that right. takes us where we need to be. Which though people forget, you know, it was Viserys is he was the one that this whole thing happened because he was really trying to bring, you know, trying to use the Dothraki army based on you know giving up his prized sister this whole time. Which keep in mind. Even going to the point they portrayed it in the show, where he's like ripping off her clothes, they were pure blood. So I'm sure he thought some kind of way about his sister. That's I mean, no one ever thinks about that. Yeah. But so in a way, and she even really cared about him down to the point of it wasn't until really towards I want to say about a little bit over halfway in the book, kind of towards the end of the show, where she finally stood up for herself because it even got to the point, remember, he threw that girl on the ground and was like, listen, like, are you spying on me? What's the deal? What's going on here? And she was like, no, I was trying to just send you food and that sort of thing. So she was even giving into that point until it really got to the point where she got so close to the Dothraki she felt like almost she could stand up for herself. Well, was that, that was that point. Like, that exact thing that you just said. He attacked her for like, sending Dorea to him and then, like, uh, he throws her on the ground and, like, like, goes to attack her. He's like, you've awoken the dragon. She grabs that belt of, like, golden steel and whops him yeah. in the head with it. It's the next time you, you lay a hand to me, you will lose your hands. Exactly. So that was that exact moment where she decided, like, okay, I'm sticking up for myself. Right. Which, okay, let's kind of go into this for a minute. Which, you know, this is why our show is explicit, right? Um... Kind of the rapes and that sort of thing. Which I hate to kind of, like, talk about that. But it is a big part of the show, and it's a part of the book. So I feel like almost as, remember when she was really sold off. Remember when she even says, is no the only word you know? Like, she tries to almost continuously open up to Drogo, right? Even before that, remember mm-hmm. when she said, I didn't want, like, like, I don't want to be his queen. Like, right. She was trying to say no from the jump. Right, from the jump. And... Unfortunately, it she doesn't get what she wants, and of course, it winds up. You know, in the books, they just wind up doing it out in the open, which I mean, of course, you know, you have like a beach in the show and that sort of thing. But as this continues to progress, I like the next scene we have of that is her. Of course, you know, you want to almost say it's consensual sex, but it's really not inside the tent. But as it's towards the end of that sex scene, you see her focusing on the three dragon eggs. And you almost see her as, like, smiling. Because 
it's almost like you're wondering in your mind, is she okay with this? Because she's thinking, I'm just doing what I got to do so that I can get my throne back. Like, I'm almost getting the power I need to where I can get to, I can overthrow Viserys, he can get out of there, get out of my way, and I'm going to start to build my army from this point. I wonder that. I mean, I, I, that's an okay take. You know, my, my own take on it is is she grew from the rapes, like, the physical affection that he had to show her for being, like, duties of husband and wife. She had to, like, grow into loving him because she did. You know, how torn up she was when he died. Like, she learned the language from him, calls him my son and stars. He, like, got in front of her, like, after they took Viserys to the side when Viserys tried to stab her in the stomach. With, when she had the baby, when Viserys ended up getting the molten crown, like, on his head, like, she developed an emotional connection and love for him. That's, that's, that's the thing. It's like, but did that develop because it was forced on her? Like, you know what I mean? You know, did, is it, was it that, is that like a psychological, like, deficiency in the brain where, like, okay, like, I must love you because I was forced to be your wife and, like, we were, we were having intercourse and things like that. Because you remember, she wanted to be taught how to please him. Like, how she was, like, flipped him onto the side, wanted to look, he's like, I'll look upon your eyes tonight. Like, so it's like, she knew stuff was going to happen. She tried to make the best out of a bad situation, but in doing so, fell to love him, which is like, is that a problem in our society? Do people, like, you know, why they don't speak out against rape? Like, is that part of it? You know what I mean? Like, is that, you know, you have to have, you have some sort of connection now because you lost all control. Someone else can full control of you. Is it just because you don't want to be shamed for it or like, oh, like blamed for it even? You know, so it's just like, where, where did that emotional connection to where she loved him so deeply come from if it was just straight, you know, being forced it's, upon her? Yeah, it's almost like you have, like, you know, almost like abusive relationships. Like, it's like, they're forced to be with that person, so they just become almost used yeah. to it. Yeah, they, that's love. Right, right. Yeah, it's dude. not, so, yeah. So that's that, that's a good question. I want to ask you guys, our, our, our viewers and listeners, do we think that uh, her love was, was forced because she thought that that's what love is and just accepted it? Or do we think that she genuinely had romantic and loving feelings and wanted these things with Khal Drogo? So great question to open up to the, to the yeah. audience. Which I guess, you know, you kind of start to see... Which just kind of starts developing into her really big arc of this book is, you know, where she meets with What's-Her-Face. I always call her What's-Her-Face. You know, the uh, other girl? Iria Dorea. Dorea. That's it, Dorea. <laughs> and Dorea was like, almost like show your power almost in the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, so, there's a king out there. You're the king and queen in here. Like uh, Exactly, right. So... Then it gets back into almost bringing everything back full circle, what we were talking about. Like the foreshadowing on what everything leads to come, almost going into, you know, a dance with dragons for the book, uh, where, you know, she's starting to develop her army, or, you know, you do have the show that I just closed out, you know, last year. It shows, you know, as she developed more and more of... I want to say the comfortability with what she had, she became more and more okay with it because she wanted to embrace more and more of the power, which goes all the way back to her family heritage. 
Yeah, and yeah, we won't talk about too much of that because I think it's important when we start going through the seasons how hard it was for her to build her army at first. I think right. that's really important that we really focus on that and don't just we jump right into how she has it. So you know, now that we've kind of had a good understanding of their situation over there in Essos, let's jump back to where the the big bad thing happens, right? So Robert Baratheon dies. They they go to, like he writes that letter saying We're, you're going to take over the throne until uh, Joffrey comes of age, and then Ned Stark writes in the rightful heir because Joffrey is not Robert Baratheon's son, right. and so he has that piece of paper and Littlefinger tells him I've got a, I've got the gold cloaks behind you like yes yeah. go ahead and confront the queen and then so he denied he denied Joffrey's right and he gave Cersei he, he said hey Barristan tell me nobody here can question your honor. And he gave him the note, and he said, this is uh, the king's seal, unbroken, and read it out loud, and that Ned Stark was to take the throne until the rightful heir came of age. And then she said, let me see that. Cersei did. Grabs the paper, he's like, is this meant to be your shield? And rips the paper up. Had no regard for the king's words. Barristan Selmy at that point in time like was in shock. Like, Those are the king's words. And she said, we have a new king. Like, like it was yeah. legitimately went from you know like some sort of honor and semblance of like order to chaos immediately. Right. And then so uh, he ends up ordering the gold cloaks. Like, all right, we're going to take the queen into custody. Uh, you know, don't harm the children. But you know, this like this needs to happen. And then what happens? The gold cloaks turn on the Starks. Littlefinger grabs the knife up to Ned Stark's yeah. neck and said, I told you not to trust me. Which you almost, like, start to gain respect for Littlefinger for a That's minute. a bold move. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's you're like, wow, he really is, he is a piece of crap. Yes. Yeah, that we thought he was. And as you see, like, as the books progress and as the show progresses... It's like he always has these little pocket chances to become a hero again. Almost like how Theon... To redeem him. Yeah, right? He always has a chance to redeem himself and always chooses the wrong always side. Always chooses the wrong side. Yep. So, I mean, if there really was a Palpatine, probably would be little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, so, yeah, so that happens. Ned Stark gets dragged to the dungeon. And this is where he's got to really make a decision because Varys comes down and says, listen, like, Ned, like, you're right. Everything that you've done and stand for is the right way and you have the good of the realm in mind, but so do I. And if we go your way, there's going to be war and millions of people are going to die. And I, I, we just got out of a war, you know, 15 years ago. We don't, like, this is now what the realm needs right now. And he's like, well, listen, like, I'm not going to sit here and tell them that what I said was a lie. I'm not going to, like, ruin my honor and my name when I had, like, I, like the, the king wrote that, that to me. And he's like, well, listen, like, you know, you will die. Like, they, they, will, they will execute you. He's like, listen, I've been ready to die for years. Like, I've been into war with, like, my, my friends and brothers, and I, I've lost many people. I learned to die a long time ago was his exact words. And Varys has to come back and hit him where it hurts. Well, what about your daughter's life? What do they mean to you? And that's, I think, another fine example of where you start to see that, you know, this guy you really start to grow fond of. You really wind up connecting with Ned uh, through the books and, and through the series. I thought they portrayed him fantastic, absolutely phenomenal, because he always, I mean, that's the whole value of the Starks through the entire arc is he's always put his family first. And, you know, I mean, that goes into what I was saying earlier. I feel like George almost wrote these books and the show, Benning Off and Wise, decided to go with because 
it really shows, you know, there's really a lot of times in reality, choosing the right way isn't always a happy ending. Or the easiest. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, uh, you know, he he has to make that decision. He ends like, you know, he, he, Varys and comes to me and he's like, oh, listen, like if you admit that you try to overthrow the king and take the throne for yourself, like there's a chance they'll let you live out your life uh, and take the black on the wall with your brother. Like that's that's a better option than just dying right in there. And the, and your daughters are going to be like spared too. So Ned has to make that decision, and he does. So he goes to the sept of Baylor. He confesses to everyone. He, he lies and, and really ruins his own honor and says, I tried to take the throne for myself. Um, you know, Joffrey is the rightful king. Uh, I basically, I lied about the, the letter that was given to me. Uh, you know, Joffrey is the rightful king and heir. And so, like, like in classic Joffrey fashion, he, he gets up and says, my, my mother would have me spare the life, but you know, as long as I'm king, they have the weaker hearts of women. And, uh, you know, treason will not go unpunished. And says, Sir Illyn, bring me his head. And I think of that moment, too, you even saw, even, you know, jumping back just a few sentences there, uh, you really even saw, I think, from Cersei and, and Jamie that were even watching this whole whole thing go down. Jamie I think, wasn't there. Or whoever Jamie was, was there. in Castle Rock, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Cersei was there, and... The, who else was Sansa there? Sansa was there. Arya was actually held by Yorin. I know Arya and yeah. Sansa were there. There was another uh, Lannister there. I thought that. Um, I mean, Lance Lannister was there. Uh, Tywin Lannister wasn't there yet. All right. Um, oh, well. So, yeah. But point being, right, is I think you really see from Cersei, even from, you know, I think she really got shocked. She was shocked. That, yeah. you know, I thought that... Cersei even thought that Joffrey wouldn't be that cold. Yeah, no, like she, like he surprised her. She is like in her mind. Listen, he is going to take the black, and like everyone, like everyone's going to accept Joffrey as the king, yeah. and that was just going to be it. And then Joffrey decides to pull his own. Like, hey, this is my yeah, show yeah. now, ma. You ain't telling me what to do. Kill this mother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's so. Uh, and I. And and how still, graphic was that too, man? And still say to this day, you know, this is. The most bold TV series out there because you—it's one thing to do it in a book because anyone can read a book off the shelf and be like, "Oh, I'll just put this back on the shelf." A TV series that's really making, you know, the budget cuts and investing everything they can in this uh, to go and kill off the main character and sticking with it true to the books—that's yeah. very hard to find. I think the last one to really do that was Amazing Spider-Man Two, which turned out awful, where they tried to throw Gwen <laughs> Stacy off the building. And it just didn't really work out well. But um, it, it was really bold for the first season of the show to do this. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I think that that's that obviously set off the full war between the the Lannisters and the Starks because obviously we, we kind of we kind of skipped over this you know we kind of ran on a little bit I know we're, we're on two hours now with you guys but um we, we jumped over the fact that Tyrion was in the Eyrie being tried for the um, murders of Jon Arryn and uh, the pushing of Bran out of the window and trying to murder him conspiring to murder him so 
And just to kind of catch you guys up to speed real quick, obviously that's where we kind of meet Braun, the Cell Sword. He kind of switches sides because in the beginning he helps take Tyrion there, thinking he's going to get money from Catelyn. He realizes that you know the Lannisters have far more money than um, the Starks do. So when he gets when he all like, demands that trial by combat, no one wants to stand for Tyrion as the champion. Braun does. He fights super dirty, throws the candles, dodges out of the way while the guy's hacking at him, hitting the walls and the pillars, and he's just like. He, he's uh, he's a cutthroat, you know. He's he's a self sword who is very very savvy and crafty and has a survivalist instinct. Instead of fighting like toe to toe, we're swinging it out, and whoever wins wins. He's like no, like I will survive. I don't care what I have to do. I will kill you, and I will still be alive, and I'm going to get paid handsomely for this. Right? Yeah, and that's the uh, you know a lot of people forget that was really the first trial by combat, um, and. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always really gone with Brom's character. He's willing to do whatever it takes to survive. Even turns on Tyrion, not really turns on him, but decides against helping Tyrion, you know, right, se- yeah. seasons later. Yeah. Like, you know, listen, like, I, I, I do this for me. Like, I right. do, like, you know, like, it's great. Like, I come to call you a friend, but, you know, when, like, when have I ever asked yeah. you to die for me? That yeah. was a cool, like, sentence there. Right, we'll get exactly. Later yeah. on. But uh, the, here's the thing. I just want to catch this up because it was almost, like, pointless, the fact that this happened to Ned because this whole this whole thing happened because Catelyn took Tyrion after, like, the, the pushing of Bran and trying to murder him with the, the, the dagger. So Tyrion gets to go free. So, like, really nothing bad happens to the Lannisters. Tyrion, like, gets to go, but Ned Stark loses his head. And that, you know, that really kind of set off the entire... War between Rob Stark decides he's going to go to war. He rallies the North. Like that, wow, what's his name? Great John Umber challenges Rob's like authority. Then the, like his wolf Grey Worm jumps up, bites his fingers off, and like the Great John is even mad. He's like, ha ha ha! Yeah. All right, all right. This is like you know, spoken like a true Northman. Like they all start hailing him as the King in the North. Right then and there. Right, which uh, people forget too. At this time, you know, you really thought Rob was going to wind up being the hero of the story. I, I did. I yeah. sure did. Don't talk. Don't tell him yet, because we. we oh have yeah, we go. But but man, point, Rob was my guy. Yeah. <laughs> which point being though is, you know, the one everyone comes to recognize is of course you know John of course, which at this time he's almost like he's an afterthought. Yeah, non-relative is what I was going to say. He's over there training to be in the Night's Watch, which he's really kind of learning at this point, you know, of where he is in the book and even in the show. He's kind of this scrawny little teenager, and he's learning that people in this watch really have been through a lot more than he has. Not just that. Like, here's the thing, too. Like, he realizes these guys aren't, like, um, warriors and, like, people who command respect like his brothers are rapists and deserters and like people who were tried of crimes like it's right. not at all in his mind what he thought the glory of the, the night's watch was he he's sitting there thinking like ah like it's it's such an honor to serve the night's watch but really yeah. like they're they're a bunch of like like prisoners and people who have raped others killed others murderers like done thievery stuff like sometimes they get the like the bad hand of it and like get you know convicted of other stuff and get chosen between you know death or the the, the wall so uh, he gets there with this unrealistic expectation that this is going to be basically like a king's army just in, in just you know covering the wall. When in reality, it's a bunch of pickpockets and thieves right. and murderers and rapers, and he has to call them brothers. He's got to he's got to adjust from being in this castle of Winterfell at was like a part of like the, one of the most prestigious names and families in the land to being a nobody working his way on his own merits up through. Right. I mean, it even goes to show is. 
part is Tyrion was sitting there talking to him for a bit, and he was like, Night's Watch, and he was kind of looking at all the men that was sitting around him at the campfire in the show, and he said, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are rapists. They had two choices. You know, you can be castrated or you can go towards the wall. Well, I mean, choose the knife. <laughs> choose the knife. <laughs> exactly. So it really showed, I mean, this wasn't an honorable thing. I mean, these houses really, they were almost like mercenaries in a way. Like, they kind of, they were sent to do a task, but really they kind of were on their own rules at that point because... Almost like pirates. Like, no one really even cared the what nice they did watch. at that point. Yeah. Well, in a way, yeah. Like, they didn't answer to any kings. They had, like, that, that's the whole thing. They didn't answer anybody. They don't take part in wars or nothing. And that is a big part. Actually, coming up right now is after John gets word of it. And here's the thing, too. This is where you start to learn Bran's a little special. Because him and Recon have a dream that Ned Stark came back to Winterfell in the crypts. And, like, that was, like, a sign that he was dead. And uh, Maester Lewin, the, the, the guy who's like basically you know works directly with the Stark family in Winterfell, is trying to tell uh, Bran like nothing happens to your father, he's fine. And then they get word, and that's when people realize like the, like his dreams like are true. Like <laughs> Ned did die, like you know. So they get that. Rob finds out he's like cutting like the trees in like the woods. Like, yeah, right. Because like he wants to go uh, free his father from the dungeons that they put him in after Robert Baratheon died. He went down there, and then you know he's in the woods, like swinging his his axe, his um, sword at trees. You know, John finds out he wants to join Rob to go down there, and like that's where he gets his like like that's when he realized that they do have love for each other, and they are brothers. And I watch because you know Pip, Gren, and Sam they stop him from going there and deserting the wall, right? And, and you know, and and kind of forsaking his oath to the wall. So that was really cool. We got to see that, and then. I think this is the super cool one, like one of my favorite things that happened because like there's still two episodes up at this point, you know. There's the nine and ten, so we we start to see Rob Stark come into his own. Now he's the head and house of, of like House Stark. Catelyn decides, listen, I, I I could go back to Winterfell and take care of my young boys who could use a mother, but Rob needs my counsel now more than ever because he is still 15 years old making decisions of like like a lord with like other men around him he's going to need my guidance and my knowledge and you know my diplomacy and how these things work so she sticks with him while winterfell is left completely unguarded yeah. it's just like 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 they, they just have like brandon recon up there and, and winterfell <laughs> you know two children you know and so this is this is what's really really cool about this is you start to see um like the mind of Rob Stark, how he's so good at battle tactics and strategy. Because if you guys remember what happened, it was said that he was like, you know, that Tywin Lancer expected Rob Stark to come at him full force at right. the Castle mm-hmm. Rock. And That's what happened? Right. He only sent an army of 2,000 and sent the rest of his army to, to uh, sideswipe the, the uh, Jamie's Lannister's army that was going to attack House Tully. Like, well, not attack it, but siege it and like un- right. control it. And so, while there was only a, a couple thousand that were going to do that for Jamie, because it wasn't going to take much for him to do that, the, the whole army of Castle Rock, which where Tyrion comes back into the game here with his like woodsmen people, he had promised him. That's another thing. He talked his way out of getting murdered by the mountain clans right, by yeah. promising him these things because he's a Lannister and has the the authority to give them what money. they want, <laughs> yeah, money, yeah. like like weapons and and like things of that nature, gold. So. 
now like there's this big war, Tyrion has to go fight like the Northermen, and you're thinking this is where the big battle is going to be. But in reality, Rob Stark left the bulk of his battle to take out the, the Lannisters and capture Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Rob Stark, at 15 years old, captures one of the best swordsmen in the land. At at that age, he was able to capture him. And now he's a prisoner, yeah. and they have to decide: are they going to kill him? Are they going to ransom him? Because like you know, this is where we start to see Catelyn. And her love for her daughter is like, listen, like, you know, to any of the guys there, any of the men, the kill the Kingslayer. Like, he killed, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, what's was, I can't think of the name. Not, not, not the Umber. Um, the, Karstark, Rickard Karstark. I took, they, they killed Rickard Karstark's um, sons. And that's like, that's why, like, almost some of the things happened that, like, had the Karstarks leave Rob Stark's army later on in, in the later seasons. But, you know, he wanted his revenge, and they, they wanted, like, the, like, them to kill Lannister. But like, she's like, listen, we could still ransom him and get the girls back. None of the guys gave a crap about Sansa and Arya. Number oh, yeah, one, no, no one even knew where Arya was, if she was yeah. alive or what. And Littlefinger comes back later and tells him, like, oh, she's fine. Like, just kind of, like, to make it seem like they should make the trade. Right. But regardless, how amazing was it? Like, you see this 15-year-old have this battle plan to take one of the most legendary sword fighters like down in his own army. And and this is how much respect, because remember when Callan said, I mentioned this earlier when we first started this, Callan's like, well, I'm, like, you know, I'm glad, Rob, that you didn't meet Jamie, like, like Ricard Karstark's son, didn't meet him in the battlefield, because and they know what would happen. Yeah. So, but they, they, they captured him, and they chained him up, and, you know, that's when he really started to become humble, because he was treated like dirt and garbage, like, sitting in his own filth of, like, his piss and his shit, and... Like, that was That's gross, what, like man. I said, you know, he tried to uh, take out the hand, and then look what happened, Carmen. Yeah, was yeah that, was, that was later on when, like, Brienne of Tarth comes into play a little bit. But, yeah, so, you know, that's that's the big thing that happens there. And then while this is all going on, the Battle of the Whispering Wood over in Essos, uh, like, like we call Drogo, he ends up having a disagreement about, like, because, like, they end up, like, pillaging a village. Right. And taking, like, you know, their, their um, the women, they wanted to rape them, and steal like from there they end up they end up taking over the village or whatever and and um Daenerys starts seeing like these women being raped and like she commands everyone to stop and like half the Kalash was like dude this is our way of life like Khal Drogo you, you like you need to let her know and she tells him like hey my moon and my stars like like I these are my slaves like I don't want them to be touched like these are my people now and and he like agrees with her and then um that one call like he's like no, like like absolutely not. Like you yeah. have been basically whipped by this this foreigner. She has you not thinking straight. Like you are a call of like the thing. Like like if you can't lead us, I will. And yeah. then that's when Khal Drogo's like, all right. And then you kind of see and get respect for how much of a warrior that Khal Drogo was because as you think this guy is giving Khal Drogo a good fight, and he's like he's starting to talk about. It, he's like, but you haven't killed me. He's like, what do you mean? You're already dead. Right, yeah, <laughs> it was amazing, exactly. and then like like he, like he did end up getting like the that cut because like, he let him step into it, and he, like, he just like stood ahead there, and he and killed that's, him. But, that's one thing I don't think they give enough, you know, headway to into Drogo's really past there. He was known as you know the undefeated count is what he was, and every call. time, yeah, yeah, the call, and uh, they. Every time, you know, he would defeat somebody, he would attach the braid to his head. braids had never been cut. Never been cut, ever. Episode one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even in the books, it's done a little bit different. Like, he's not quite as barbaric 
Uh, and you know, he has kind of the jewels on his hair, and then he has yeah. the rings. He's definitely more humanized. In the, yeah. In the, he's not a savage barbarian like he is in the series, but he like it's still like that. But they they over embellished how much like, right. barbarian like barbaric. Like he wasn't just like. Like I felt like in the in the show, he was almost like they took an image of Conan the Barbarian. They were like, no, no. Like he tried like, to learn her like, language in the books. Yeah, like, he like was very like like he understood a little bit more about like he still like did his stuff that he had to do, but he almost like cared about her feelings a little bit more in doing it. So I agree with you. Like it, he wasn't portrayed that way, but it's almost kind of cool to see. You know, like. This is our way of life. This is how we do things, and like, right. what, you, what doesn't matter? Like, you are mine now, and you will do this. Which that brings up a good point, though. Like, do you think what Benioff and Wise were trying to show, as far as going back to the whole love thing, do you think she really almost fell in love with him because, like, in the books, right? You know, as they start to get to know each other more, like, she's actually falling in love with him, and they just kind of skipped over those pieces? Or do you think it yeah, was just like, we're just going to throw this that could have That could have really been, like, the writer's thing, where, like, you know, it didn't... They wanted other us to focus on other things than the connection that they build over time. That's very possible. Um, but, yeah, so that ends up happening, and then, like, his... The scar that he's left by that call... Are is like getting infected, and one of the women that she saved, you know, this is how disrespectful to her, you know, in her mind. Like when we get into it in a couple minutes here, because we're about to finish up with you guys, um, he gets that like cut on his shoulder. It gets infected. She asks if there's any healers there, and like she's a witch. Her name was Miri Mazdur. Like she was gonna heal him, and so she did all this, you know, whatever, tried to clean and infest her the wound. And they might, she wanted to make sure she wasn't harmed. So Daenerys is doing all these things to make sure these slaves from this village, they, they call them the, the go-fuckers. You know, like whatever. <laughs> they, they, you know, so making sure all these people... Did you say the are, are, efforts? Yeah, that's yeah. what they call them. That's you know? right, yeah. So, like, um, they're doing the best. Like, she's doing what she can to make their lives, now that they're slaves, just not bad. Like, they're not going to be raped every single night. You know, like did get there's you know people did die and they you know whatever, but she's trying to really make the best out of her situation, and she's thinking these people are going to be grateful to her. In reality, Miri Mazdur, she had in her mind like I'm going to kill this Kalasar, like I'm going to make sure he right, doesn't yeah. that doesn't do it, so that way other villages don't have to go through this later on, and I get my own revenge for what they did to me. Mm -hmm. But she's very clever and very like sneaky about it, and so it does like a, a fake fake heal, and so as it goes on. He's getting worse and worse, and then sicker and sicker until he finally falls off his horse. And guys, we didn't think that that was a big deal, but in their in their culture, if you can't stay atop your horse, you're not fit to be a leader, and they all leave him. Like they, right, like she, yeah. like, well, they, they tried to uh, talk to to her a little bit about not having because he started to be out of like he was basically feverish. He he couldn't. He was unconscious. Whatever he just was in really bad shape from the infection of the wound that never got properly healed, cleaned, or, you know, covered. And so she's like, okay, I need you. Like, like he's going to die like within the night. And so the whole Kalasar decide to leave him. There's a couple of the um, blood calls that decide to stay with, with him because of their loyalty. And because actually in the books, it really mentions this more. Uh, the, the, the call of the entire Kalasar has two blood call with him. And whenever he dies, they are forced to die with him. Even if they're a full health, they have to kill themselves. Right. Like, like that's not really mentioned much in the series. So they stay with him 
and she they tried to bring her back they tried to bring him back with the Miriam Mazdur and her and her magic and so and she doesn't realize that this is the, the ultimate set and trap because what ends up happening you think when they kill the horse and like they you know, what life only life can pay for life and she thought like she was gonna have to die or someone like the baby was gonna have to die to bring Khal Drogo back, she uses the horse's life. And like, you know, so all these like things are happening and you know what ends up happening after that, Khal Drogo lives, he's alive, but like he's he's like deaf, dumb, blind, can't do anything, he just is he breathes and that's it. He doesn't eat, he can't talk, his mind's not there, he stares out, he's just staring in the space like like basically a hundred percent better off like if he had just died. But she tricked her and said, you know, they like, yeah, he will live and he did. But the life that the horse that got paid for was her own baby. Which, uh, by the way, just on a side note, could you imagine if you were the directors and you just had to tell Jason Momoa, yeah, man, nah, no battle scene for you, man. You're going to go out like a, you know, <laughs> it get, it, you're sitting there saying that to a guy that's literally twice your size and you're just like, yep. He had his little battle with the other call there, but yes, I agree. Like, he, he did end up having to go out to an infection, which, yeah. which sucks. You died to uh, the coronavirus, man. That's what you died to. Right, so. Very sad. Yeah, and then from there, once she realizes what happened and then that she was, that Daenerys like, realizes what happened and that she was tricked by this witch. Like, like that's when she loses it and in the books she said she has that moment of destiny where she knows what she has to do in the TV series it didn't really seem like that it just seemed like she was building a funeral pyre for him and was going to uh, you know just, just burn him and then have her burn with him uh, just like as a punishment for like, disobeying her but yeah. in, in the books it really goes into like again the life paying for life so now that she couldn't bear children anymore and like you know she was told that she could never have children again uh, the one that was inside her room died came out all scaly half right. like a dragon like um, so now she's like you think that she's just devastated and broken in the TV series but in the books it was very calculated she built that and she walked into the fire um, she built for Khal Drogo she snarled him with a pillow burned him burned her alive you know even like so it's funny like it's not your screams that I want it's your life is what Daenerys told her and then she jumps into the fire too with the eggs. Yeah. And when you know to kind of all come out together, the, to kind of kind of put this to a close for season one. Fire burns out. She walks out of the ashes. She's got three dragons on her. Yeah, pretty amazing. And I think one thing the show did great is they really portrayed the agonizing screams of the witch, mm -hmm. and it was downright brutal. Um, and it's just like she said, you know, she said, it's just like you said, it's not your screams I want, it's just your life. Yeah. So, you guys, look at the symmetry between that. Daenerys' life, Khal Drogo, and uh, Ms. Mazguri. Three. There's three dragons. They end up being named later on Drogon, uh, Viserion, and Rhaegal. Right? So, she, in a way, cleansed herself of her old life. She right. went to there. She mm -hmm. came out. Obviously, fire doesn't kill a Targaryen, a true dragon Targaryen. But like she kind of, it was almost like a, a baptism of fire came out, and now she's no longer that scared girl. She is the she is the new call in a way. She yeah. is the new. She is the Khaleesi, and all the people. It's funny because in the books, 
the the blood call, we're gonna just go away, like, no, listen, like, you're not our leader, we don't do that. And she just dismissed them as in, like, they didn't even say anything. Right. In the TV series, it didn't even portray that at all. But now she comes out fully naked, like, you know, just charred, blackened from the smoke and the ashes. Uh, the dragons are on her, and they all kneel before her. She's the mother of dragons. And, uh,. If you remember before, like, Jorah is literally begging her to not do yeah. this. Like, on his hands and knees, like, please, please don't. But and she, she didn't care. I mean, she felt like, you know, she had nothing to lose at that point. Nothing to lose. And, um, and by the way, I'm not making fun of the coronavirus. That is a serious situation going on. So, wish those guys definitely the best in, you know, China and other parts of the world. So, Hopefully feel better, and uh, we'll be fighting it off here, too. <laughs> but going back to the fire thing, it the symmetry between that, it, it's funny how everything throughout this book is really in threes, Yeah, if you notice. It is. It, is, it very um, much is. Um, if you think about it, you know, I don't want, actually, I'm not going to say it. We're going to save it for the next episode, guys. I think this is actually a great place for us to leave this year today. Um, this has been season one. Uh, and you know, but our first book of Game of Thrones is what kind of set this off for a global phenomenon of a of, of really a franchise and its own universe, really. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, any any last things that you want to say? Uh, I mean, myself, I've kind of. I guess we. What house are you, by the way? Are you, are you Listen, ever man, defined by a house? I, I don't know if I'm defined by a house. Uh, I, I like a little bit of everybody, but uh, I, I, I like. You know what? Because after okay, listen. After after Rob Stark, I had that heartbreak with Rob Stark. I was I became a really big fan of Braun. Uh, the the cell sword who just kind of kept doing everything he could to stay alive and work his way up. So as opposed to a house, I kind of identify myself as as the guy that guy. Listen, I don't have to be a part of a big name house, have an awesome name attached to me. But we're gonna we're gonna make the most out of this life. So that's, that's who I really identify yeah, with now. <laughs> that's pretty good, man. I like it. I uh, see. I wouldn't really. I guess you would kind of call me a Lannister, but I'm really more of like a Targaryen too, because I've always been kind of that Sith Lord that craves for power. But <laughs> you know, if you can buy me off at one point, I'm sure I'll pledge my loyalty. <laughs> but um, no, I mean it it's really is. Easily, probably one of the best franchises. Despite critics and disagreements or agreements, you cannot sit here and honestly say what they've done and how they took what was just in a in a paperback and hardcover book and put it on screen was not absolutely phenomenal and definitely has sparked future generations to captivated try to model themselves after it. Right? Yeah, I mean, dude, it captivated an audience for sure. You can't write the annals of history. And go through, you know, some of the biggest change, like like generational changing shows and books, and not include Game of Thrones. Yeah, and it goes into showing. I mean, even what I was saying, even just as far as like the series, right? I mean, she cared so much about him that even to the point she hated him and wanted to just defend herself at that point by giving him a golden crown that they poured all over his body, uh, which we didn't go into that too much, but it even just goes to show she named her dragon after him. So you really develop, like we always talk about, these franchises are so amazing because of the emotional attachment you get through the ongoing following of the arcs of these characters and how they all have different different perspectives that wind up making up one plot point. 
which is so hard to find nowadays. So it's interesting to see where this goes. Yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us today for uh, episode one of our uh, eight-episode Game of Thrones arc. We know this is a bit longer. This is actually going to be this is the longest one we've done uh, to date. Um, but guys, if, if you like it, please go ahead and click like, subscribe. Like we said, we've, we've get, gotten viewers. Uh, thank you guys so much who like to listen to us over in Australia and Canada and Germany and the United States. Uh, we we're starting to gain some traction here. It's only our fifth official episode, and we're, we're, we're still new to this, but we're getting a lot of following, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, so please, you know, if you like us, comment. Click like, subscribe, catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitch, Podbeam, YouTube. Uh, we've got an Instagram page, Snapchat. Uh, we're excited to uh, really bring this to you on multiple platforms, and thank you so much for all the support you've given us so far. So, Chase, do you want to break us down? Yeah, man. Uh, RidiculousPatronus.com. Go there. You can follow all the updates on the blogs there for us. Uh, one, uh, Josh didn't mention UK. We actually got some uh, viewers from over there today awesome. that were listening, which is really cool. So all you guys in England, uh, definitely appreciate you listening. But next week, we're going to start to really uh, dive in. Is it a Clash of Kings? Is it the next book? Yes. Yeah, Clash of Kings. So we're going to kind of dive in deep on that. And, you know, really what's great is... You know, ever since the show ended, people haven't really been able to dive back into this story arc again. And you really get to, you know, follow these characters and relive it once more, which is what we're here for. Yeah. So uh, definitely, you know, follow us on Podbean, a cast. We're on pretty much everything now. Yeah. iHeartRadio, that's kind of a big one, so we came on there. Um, you know, you can even follow me and Josh on uh, Instagram yeah. if you wanted Social to. Social media, guys, we got it. A uh, good point that you're bringing up, too. When we're, we're actually going to finally be accepted for Spotify now that we've hit our uh, fifth episode. So we're going to be on the big major four, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So I guess that's five. But um, <laughs> <laughs> iHeartRadio is left out, and they're yeah. like the biggest one. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, that's huge, guys. And, and thank you uh, to those those companies as well for, for kind of seeing the vision of what we're trying to bring and, and giving us that acceptance. Because there's, there's a lot of times I don't think you guys realize that podcasts are denied for XYZ reason, and uh, we're just thankful that we've got enough viewers um, that... Yeah, y'all make it happy, guys. I mean, if it wasn't for y'all, I mean... We wouldn't be doing this. We'd probably be, you know, we go to a local bar, Cowboys, we'd still be there every night of the week. (laughs) So, uh, guys, thank you so much. This has been Chase and Josh with the Ridiculous Crew. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. Mm